just for the record, there is a garbage can in there somewhere. You know what would make this baby sing? Bat guano. Nature's miracle grow. Where do you buy bat guano? Sears? Yes, but it lacks the potency of straight out of the bat feces. Nope, we have to go right to the source. Mono iguano. <laughs> What's up, everybody, and welcome to Anime Bebe, where we always listen and trust science. This is your host, who always gives 10 billion percent, Mikey, and joining me as always is... The Explosive Chemical Reaction, your co-host, Ryan. And get excited, because on this episode, we're talking all about Dr. Stone Season 1. Boy, this is a this is a juicy one. Yeah, returning to our uh, Shonen Roots after two episodes of uh, teen-themed anime here. Yeah, feel feels good. I mean, technically we're still dealing with teens, but uh, it's it's under a totally different context. Yeah, though uh, not like your uh, typical shonen anime, like your My Heroes or your One Pieces or DBZs of the world. Nah, this series is all about the uh, strongest uh, muscle of all, the brain. <laughs> yes. But first things first, as always, it's time for a little bit of the background. As uh, let's talk about the masterminds behind Doctor Stone, the writer Richiro Inagaki and illustrator Boichi. So, Richiro Inagaki, born June 20th, 1976 in Tokyo, got his start in the manga industry in 2001, writing for Shogakukan's Big Comic Spirits. He would continue to write for them, as well as uh, other magazines such as Square Freeze, Love Love Santa, and eventually he would make his way to Weekly Shonen Jump and begin his first big series, Eye of Shield 21. You know, a series all about an uh, introverted boy who becomes a star running back for his school's football team, and that's uh, American football, not like uh, soccer football. I still... Like, I've never read that, I've never watched it, but it still baffles me that there was, like, a popular <laughs> a popular anime slash manga at one time that was based entirely around American football. I know, right? And, like... It's, like, because it's, like, outside of the U.S., no one cares about about that about that version of football. Yeah, maybe in, like, uh, Canada, because, you know, they have the Canadian Football League and uh, parts of Europe, you know, NFL Europa. But it's that. such a distinctly Western, like, sport. It's 100% a Western sport. Yeah, so that's, that is that is surprising. And uh, I Shield 21 it actually helped boost the popularity of American football in Japan. Really? Yeah, and, like, you know, makes sense, you know, it's in a big weekly magazine, Weekly Shonen Jump, so obviously it has a lot of eyes on it. At times, I do not consider, like, the influence that once had, because I completely missed it. Completely missed that entire series. Like, even whenever I hear about Ice Shield 21, I, my mind, like, 
flits between like is that like an actual fantasy anime or something <laughs> or like then I remember oh yeah football yeah. <laughs> drawn by Yusuke Murata yeah too. Yusuke Murata of One Punch Man fame which his artwork alone could maybe get me to like actually read that manga oh yeah because like Dude does stellar artwork. He is a fantastic artist. You know, taking uh, what One does with the uh, webcomic version of One Punch Man and just t- and just making it look absolutely making stellar. magic. Yeah, <laughs> like true, tr- truly impressive artist. You like, know, he he alone could get me to read that manga, and I hate sports, and I hate sports manga. Yeah. Anime. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the reason for like this whole uh, collaboration between uh, Inagaki and uh, Murata is because uh, Inagaki felt his uh, artwork was a little too rookie. At the time, you know, so he just wanted to focus on the story and he wanted to bring in uh, Murata to just handle the artwork. And arguably, he made it to the big leagues. Yeah, pun intended. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, that's kind of one of the things you don't really see a whole lot in manga, because usually it's like, okay, you have uh, one person and they're basically both writer and illustrator. Right, right, because there's there's such heavy expectations in in the industry to, like, be both writer and artist, which, honestly, is a very unrealistic expectation. It is, like... I'm kind of amazed that uh, Ichiro Oda, who does One Piece, he's been doing it for, like, what, since the 90s? He, there's something in him that's not human. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there really isn't something in there. Because, like, didn't I hear, right, that, like, once that, like, um, I could have sworn I heard once that, like, he, he, he draws it, like, nearly, like, nearly almost, like, 12 hours, like, each day for, like, the entire week, and he sees his family, like, <laughs> for one day. One day, maybe two hours. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I might be confusing some of the numbers there, but I could have sworn it was something like that. But yeah, like, you know, he's got a wife and a daughter, but, like, you can only make, like, one day worth of time for him because he's under, like, tight deadlines. Like, it's really unrealistic, so... Yeah. You would think that getting a writer and an artist would separate the work a bit, you know, and make things a little bit easier for Yeah, everyone. a little more streamlined, where you can have one person just focus on the story, you know, maybe give some direction with storyboards and whatnot, and then hand it off to your artists, and then they can just put it all together. The, the industry really needs to change, at least in that regard. Yeah, because, Because like, it's, it's such an unrealistic... Because that's how it works here, with our comics. Yeah, like, that's, 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 like, that happens all the time. Yeah. Like, no one cares. <laughs> yeah, like, or not even comics, like, even picture books and stuff like that. Right, right. That's completely fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, Ice Shield 21 would run from July 2002 to June 2009 with a total of 37 volumes. And after Ice Shield, Inagaki would continue to work on projects, though not to the scale of his biggest work up to that point. It wouldn't be until 2017 he would join forces with artist Boichi to begin working on his next big manga series. And uh, let's talk a bit about Boichi here, or uh, otherwise known as Mujik Park, born in January 29, 1973 in South Korea. As he started his career in 1993 as a manhwa artist, manhwa which is the uh, Korean equivalent of uh, comics manga. And he started off working for uh, Korean Manhwa Girls uh, magazine until 2004 when he would step into the world of manga. And in 2006, he would begin his first major series called Sun Ken Rock, a series all about a guy named Ken who travels to Korea to become a police officer like, like his uh, high school crush who did the same thing. Unfortunately, things don't work out. He ends up uh, shut in until one day he saves an old man from some gang members. And then this eventually leads to Ken becoming the next boss of a local Yakuza gang. That's interesting. I think, I think it sounds kind of cool. Yeah, it does kind of. And the series would run from April 2006 to February 2016 with a total of 25 volumes in over 10 years. Two men. And I didn't even hear about it until recently. Like, I feel ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's a lot of volumes. That is. <laughs> 
And uh, some other cool things uh, Boichi has uh, worked on include a one-shot where he did, redid uh, chapters 51 and 52 of One Piece. You know, the one where... Uh, I think I do recall that. Yeah, it's where Zoro fights uh, Mihawk for the first time. Yeah, I think I do recall that. And uh, currently he's working on the manga adaptation of the uh, Ace light novels that cover what Ace was doing up until uh, Marineford. Oh, nice to see him uh, getting into the some of the One Piece content there. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I do like his, uh, his art style surprisingly works well with One Piece. Yeah, it does, actually. Like, it does surprisingly well. Yeah. But uh, have you seen any of uh, other uh, Boichi's works before? Um, honestly, like, not really, like, not too much in some regards, you know. It's like, Dr. Stone was really where I just, like, first heard about him. I didn't hear about any of the previous works he did, or even the fact that he did, like, porn at one point. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like, once I heard that, I was just like, okay, I gotta at least, I gotta at least briefly, briefly bring that up. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Him and uh, Mario Kata can uh, (laughs) exchange writing porn stories. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, that was, that was funny to find out about. (laughs) But, uh, no, he, he, but no, I do think it's, like, seriously impressive that, um, and, uh, that he was able to, like, you know, transition from, like, manhwa complete, like, right over to, like, manga. Because, because you only ever see, like, Japanese writers and artists mm-hmm. in the industry. Not a lot of diversity. No, not at all. Or at least when there is, like, they have such a hard time breaking into the mainstream. Right. Really hard time. So to see him like breaking into the industry as like a like Korean born artist, yeah, that's cool. You like to see it, yeah, I know, especially being from Korea, because you know, like you know, some areas in Japan have kind of like that internalized uh, prejudice against Koreans. Yeah, yeah, that that does exist over yeah, like, there as it, well. It, yeah, it's like amazing how far he's made it. Yeah, really impressive, and with a bit of a science background too. That surprised me as well. Yeah. Yeah, like, they, like I didn't. Exp- I actually thought like maybe like either of these guys would just be like uh, like otaku for science or something. <laughs> <laughs> but like no, like Boichi does actually have some like uh, background from college in science. Yeah, I studied a lot in college. I think he's got some degrees in it too. Yeah, I think I could have sworn I heard somewhere that he like d- partly did it to like help like help him write sci-fi or something. Mm-hmm. So like yeah, even better. Like that's that's a really good background to come from. Like if you're going to like going into like drawing stuff, drawing content. So both guys definitely have like the experience and the pedigree to tackle on a big time Shonen Jump series. Oh yeah, they they both of these guys have paid their dues. And speaking of that series, on March sixth, twenty seventeen, Inagaki and Boichi would debut their next big series to the world, and that series was of course Doctor Stone. And currently running in Weekly Shonen Jump alongside such other heavy hitters as My Hero Academia and One Piece. And a not-so-heavy hitter in Black Clover. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And at the time of this recording, Dr. Stone is currently running at 20 volumes and 194 chapters and counting. And uh, I'm all up to date on the manga. Yeah, I I haven't read read much of the manga. I've only peeked ahead a little bit, but... uh... Like, from the parts that I have peeked ahead of, it, it, it's a series that really goes places. It, it does. It's, like, I'll, I'll get into it much later, but, yeah, it's... I'm it, impressed with, like, how far it's, like, come. Like, this many volumes? Like, that's impressive. Yeah, and, like, what? Only in four years. Only four years, too. That is that is really impressive. And so, on November 18th, 2018, over a year and a half into its run, it was announced that Dr. Stone would, would receive an anime adaptation and the anime would be produced by the legendary studio TMS Entertainment. And uh, we talked about them in the past, but uh, for a quick recap of the studio behind the uh, previously covered on Anime Bebe, Megalobox, and the Fruits Basket reboot. And they've also done stuff like Lupin the Third, Akira, some of the best-looking episodes of Batman the Animated Series, Animaniacs, Tiny Toon Adventures, and of course, who could forget? Hamtaro. <laughs> the king among them. And also, 
Sonic X. Ah, sorry, the the, the emperor among them. The emperor and the king, Sonic and Hamtaro. (laughs) (laughs) And the anime would be directed by Shinya Ino, making his lead directorial debut after mostly doing episode directions and storyboards. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, like, I looked at his uh, A&M profile, and then it's just, like, uh, episode directing, episode directing, episode directing, and then Dr. Stone, lead director. I'm like, oh, wow. I mean, I'll say right now, he he, he made quite the debut. Definitely <laughs> came in came in hard-hitting, you know? Mm-hmm. And the anime's writer would be Yuchiro Kido, who was the script writer for all three seasons of the Fruits Basket reboot, and he also wrote all 12 episodes of my favorite anime of 2020, Masaki Yuasa's Keep Your Hands Off Azoken. Hey, nice. Yeah, like, I saw that, I'm just like, ah, this is amazing, the writer for the Dr. Stone anime doing a Masaki Yuasa anime, it's my favorite of last year. Ah, you like to see it. You love to see it. <laughs> and the anime would run from July 5th, 2019 until December 13th, 2019, and it would be licensed here in the States by uh, Funimation and Crunchyroll, with uh, Crunchyroll handling the subs and Funimation handling the dub. And speaking of the dub, it was directed by our boy, Clifford Chapin and Michelle Rojas, with uh, adapted scripts by a super team of writers consisting of Tyler Walker, Aaron Dismuke, Bonnie Clinkenbeard, Kristen McGuire, and my boy, Matt Shipman. And the dub would uh, make its uh, American TV debut on Toonami from uh, October 25th, 2019 until February 22nd, 2020. I believe that's where uh, I first interacted with the series. And uh, if you remember, we did talk about this briefly during our uh, Toonami Year in Review podcast last year. And uh, if you remember that, we did uh, highly praise it. Mm-hmm. But now, this time, one year later, we're giving Dr. Stone the full podcast treatment. Yes, we are putting on our science hats for this one, folks. You know, getting our goggles on, putting our lab coats, and getting ready to, uh, you know, mix this into some beakers and tef- test tubes and all that. <laughs> <laughs> With all that out of the way, get excited, because we're talking all about Dr. Stone Season 1. And we're putting 10 billion percent in. So without further ado, let's start the show. So we got the opening and the ending here. The opening is Good Morning World by Burnout Syndromes, and the ending is Life by Rude Alpha. What do you think of these songs? Ooh, opening, uh, quite good. Pumps you up for uh, what is essentially going to be a series where the the, the main superpower is science. Yeah, <laughs> the series is essentially a big lecture. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
Actually, oh yeah, yeah. We, we'll we'll get into that later. Yeah. But yeah, this is this is this the the, the superpowers in the series are science lectures. <laughs> but yeah, I love the opening, especially that that opening part of the song where it's Ohio, Saka, Good Morning World. Yeah, that's a that's a good line to open it with. That's a good strong with one. the visual of the sun rising over the earth. I didn't know science could be, like, badass or, like, inspire you like that. <laughs> it gets you so pumped up, and uh, it makes me wish that uh, Detour didn't get canceled last year, because we can talk about Dr. Stone during that panel, and when we would have gotten to that, I would have started off by singing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it pumps, cause it pumps you up, you know, like a good show and an opening show. It is, and, like, it's a song that appears uh, multiple times in the series, even after they switch openings. Like, they know it's that good. Oh, yeah, they, they like it. Like, they, had a good, they knew they had a good hook for, like, the series. <laughs> and the ending itself, pretty good, too. Yeah, quite a good. So, kick off. In the current day, we're introduced to our main trio, and in just a few minutes, the series manages to quickly get over our characters' uh, personality and traits here. Introducing first, the big lovable oaf, Taichu Oki, played here by Rico Fajardo. And after five years of waiting, he's finally mustered up the courage to confess his feelings to the girl he likes. And he's a total good boy. <laughs> and he's doing this on his own without the help of a love potion made by his best friend. And introducing said best friend, our lead and resident boy genius, Senku, played here by Aaron Dismuk. And in just 30 seconds, we see how much of a brilliant scientist Senku is. Good introduction for both for both uh, Taiju and Senku. <laughs> you know, it's just like uh, Taiju's in school. He runs to like the science lab, and you see Senku with like this big invention in the middle of this like classroom, <laughs> and then he's all like, oh, "Hey, you're gonna uh, confess your love to your friend? Well, have this uh, love potion." He's like, "Nope, I don't need this," and pours it down the drain. And then like even the cool bit where like it turns out that the uh, potion was actually gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> Like sets it on fire, but he, but then, but like, yeah, then he's all like, nah, my friend Taiju, he doesn't need it. Like he's been waiting for this moment for so long, he doesn't need any help. Yeah. I know he can do it. You know, showing both like his ingenuity because he made that gasoline by breaking down uh, plastic bottle caps, but also showing like how like even though he kind of looks down on Taiju a bit, like he still respects him and knows that he has like a lot of integrity. Right, right. Also, we we also get the first taste of Senku and his. Biting sarcasm in the series. <laughs> it's the best. Which is one of the hallmarks of him as a character. Very snarky, sarcastic guy. Uh, a bit, like, dips a little bit into, like, the uh, asshole scientist trope a little bit. But, yeah, uh, he's like a less... He, he, does te he does temper it with uh, uh, genuine love for the people in his life. He's like a less dickish Dr. Venture. He kind of is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he's like 10 billion percent more capable than Dr. Venture, too. Oh, yeah, and uh, another thing, we see his uh, use of phrases like 10 billion percent or one millimeter. Mm -hmm. Like, I love it. It's like a very unique way of speaking. <laughs> but yeah, Senku is 10 billion percent supportive of Taiju, confessing to their longtime friend and Taiju's longtime crush. Introducing Yuzuriha Ogawa, played here by Brittany Lada. And the show gets over what a sweet, kind, and caring, caring person she is when we first see her as she... Uh, Sees a broken branch on a tree and uh, fix it with, like, her uh, ribbon from her uniform. And also, uh, the show makes sure you know that he, she is a uh, cute AF. So we got a sweet boy and a sweet girl here. Seems like everything is gonna go absolutely right here. Like, she's got stars in her eyes, clearly has something for Taiju, and Taiju is just completely pumped. Like, no way this is gonna go wrong. No, they're both, like, little blushy and everything, and uh, some of the students are looking, are looking down on him, going on like, huh. How much you want to bet uh, she breaks his heart? Uh, 500 yen. I'll give you 1,000 yen. He's like, no, 10,000 yen that uh, she reciprocates. That's from Senku. 
You know, he <laughs> believes that uh, they're both into each other. Yep. And as Taiju is about to tell Yuzuria how he really feels, a bright light engulfs the world and turns every human on Earth, all seven billion of them, into stone. Like a Thanos snap, but instead of dust, it's stone. Yeah, Sho doesn't waste any time getting into the, the big changing event that defines the series. And pretty well animated here, too, where you just see this big ray of light over the horizon, engulfing the world in, like, a green hue. And then just the next minute, everyone is just stone statues. And only people, as we do see, that uh, animals are uh, immune to the stoning. And, uh, fun fact, Inagaki has said in interviews that the idea for the petrification actually came from his love of Dragon Quest. Hmm, really? Yeah, specifically J Dragon Quest uh, V, as in that game there's a side story where it involves getting petrified. Okay, so we got Dr. Stone and Yakuza 7 for works that were greatly influenced by Dragon Quest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm taking tally. <laughs> and so, fast forward... Thousands of years later, as nature has taken back the earth, and Taiju breaks out of his stone encasement. And we see Taiju travel through the nature-reclaimed land as he makes it back to where things started. You know, just seeing, like, all the vegetation, all the trees, seeing all the destro destroyed buildings and everything, and seeing how, like, the animals are a lot more vicious than they once were, because, you know, they reclaimed the land, it's theirs again. And he goes back to the tree where it all began, and there he finds Yuzuriha still trapped in stone. And we also see that her little headphone headband thing didn't uh, get uh, petrified either. <laughs> but she isn't the only one Taiju finds as he reunites with Senku. So, what's the deal here? It's been 3,700 years since the world turned to stone, and Senku figured this out by maintaining his consciousness by counting every second from the moment he turned to stone. Like, what the fuck? What the hell? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was, that's a lot of counting. Yeah. It's like we see him turn to stone, and then he's like, okay, I gotta I got stay conscious. I gotta make sure I know what time it is when I get out. Okay. One, one two, two, three, three Mississippi, four, four Mississippi. Mississippi. <laughs> and, like, he doesn't lose count even when he, like, takes a break for a second to, like, think about something else. Like, he still keeps count going. Like, 100% accurate. <laughs> Probably disappointed that there wasn't anyone who could, like, take, take that down for a world record. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And here we get the goal of Dr. Stone. It's up to Senku and Taiju to figure out how this all happened and to revitalize civilization and bring the world out of the second stone age. And Lon's like, I oh, yeah, get excited. And he and he really does mean that, folks. Gonna save all 7 billion people in the world. Yeah, no one left behind. When he says everybody, he means everybody. You, you, general rule of thumb in Dr. Stone, if Senku says he's gonna do something... He will do it. Oh, yeah. Or at least he will attempt to. He is going to make the most genuine effort towards it. Halfway through just the first episode alone, everything has just been perfectly established, all set up. It's just mm, perfect. Like, re like really good setup, like, for, for, like right out the gate for the series. You don't see, you don't see many, like, and you don't see many works out there, like, nail it that early. Yeah, and like, you know, how most anime do like the three-episode rule where it takes like three episodes to basically set up the premise for the show. Like, nah, half an episode, and it's like paced perfectly. And one that's not centered on the, like the personal growth of like the character either. Like, this is, the goals here are much more like humanitarian, like helping everybody. It's not just like one person's, you know, one person rising themselves to the occasion. It's like 
No, like, all the efforts here are for everyone. Right. You don't see that in many other shows. No, not too much, you know. In so much shonen, it's all about the, it's all about personal growth. About how you, as an individual, can rise above it all and, you know, really attain, like, greater heights, you know? You know, become king of the pirates, wizard king, number one hero, that sort of thing. Yeah, precisely. But here, like, no, the goal, the goal is literally save everyone. Save the world. <laughs> save the world. <laughs> Man, is this a series that really knows, like, how big of a goal that is, and also to take its time with that. <laughs> I have never seen, like, it's, it's, I don't know if I should say never seen, but, like, it's, it's, it's admirable that this is a series that I can safely say takes its time with everything. Like, much like with real science, like, this series acknowledges that science is a very slow process it takes a lot of trial and error, and thankfully with a series like this, uh, you can skip lots of time yeah. <laughs> and really make that progress feel like it's the greatest thing in the world. Yeah, you just gotta fo follow the scientific method, you know, if, then, because. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, I remember, st I remember that stuff from high school. You know, I may have gotten a D-plus in uh, science class, but, you know, I still remember it. <laughs> and we see what'll be the source of humanity's revival. Miracle fluid made from bakwano, or rather it's a key ingredient, nitric acid. And we need to combine the nitric acid with another ingredient to give that uh, miracle fluid an extra kick, and that's alcohol. And this leads to some uh, something that we'll see in the series a lot of, you know, you gotta brought it up, but uh, it's something that I never get tired of. Where now This is the main loop of the series. Where Sanku comes up with a plan to create something only using the resources around him in the stone world, and manages to create it using simple science, and the series runs you through Every key step. Every little process. This is the bread and butter of Dr. Stone. You see the entire process for how they're going to make something, and then they do it step by step by step. And this is this is where you begin to realize, like, like the magic of Dr. Stone, which is that it applies shonen tropes to scientific research and to my surprise, it really worked. It does. Like, they basically just telegraph the entire arc for you, for the most part, with, like, these uh, science experiments. Because it's like, what? Because it's like, okay, we've got the nitric acid, but what do, we need, but, do we, what do we need for alcohol? Well, we have grapes in the area. We can mash those and turn them into wine. And they teach you, like, how wine is made. Yes, they actually teach you how wine is made. You know, crush it into, like, a juice and then let it preserve its, like, natural ingredients inside of it, turn it into alcohol over, like, years. Right, right. Or at least in this case, you can make it within, like, months. Yeah, least. you know, like, to the point where, it, like, it's technically alcohol, but, you know, not the kind of wine that you would drink on an everyday basis. Right, right. I, I even like the little moment where, like, they even try it, even though they're minors, and, like, yeah. it just tastes like crap. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like, because in real life, when you make, like, wine or any kind of alcohol, it's like, it's not straight. Like, they gotta add some extra stuff into it to make it actually taste good. Right, right. And then, and then, of course, they end up, but then, of course, like, the alcohol in that, not strong enough. So you need to distill it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so they create a distillation device. Uh, also through trial and error, because like they screw up the first time. Yep. <laughs> Springs a leak, and it's like, okay, well, we got to make that all over again. But then next thing you know, they are distilling wine into brandy. And the alcohol is strong enough to where they can mix it with the nitric acid. And then that leads to like even more trial and error, where they got to kind of find the right mixture between nitric acid and the brandy. And then they test the revival fluid on the... Stone swallows to see if that'll free them. Because that's another plot point too. Swallows, weirdly enough, 
did get petrified. Yes, because uh, we do see in a flashback where uh, Taiju, you know, before everything went down, that he found a stone swallow and, like, tried to take it to a, to the vet, but then he thought, like, oh, this was actually a statue, and then Yuzuria sees him, and then she's all like, yeah, I'm kind of a big dummy, too. I thought the same thing. Great minds, huh? Oh, that's, that's a, it's a short flashback, but it's really cute. Really, yeah. really, really sets up Taiju and Yuzuria like, yeah, you even know, more. You like, think Taiju's going to be super embarrassed that the girl he likes thinks he's an idiot, but she's all... But then you realize, oh, they're, 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 they're both, like, goody-two-shoes. Yeah. <laughs> they're, both, they're both sweethearts. So goody-good. But yeah, they do, fi- they do finally test the revival fluid and finalize it when they free a swallow from the stone. So now it's time to revive Yuzuria. The only problem is, she isn't decent. As a, we need to hide her shame. An amazing back and forth between uh, Senku and Taiju here, where Senku's all like, look, there's absolutely no one around to give a damn about your if your butt's showing or even if your dick's hanging out. And Taiju says, Yusoriha doesn't have a dick! <laughs> <laughs> it's like, chill, man, chill, okay? Like, we're all basically cavemen around yeah. here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would love to know how many times... Uh, Rico had to do that line to get it right. How many times did, did like did you have to say the word, did you have to say the word dick in order to get that line right? <laughs> and also, I want to know if Cliff made him redo the line just to fuck with him. <laughs> it's like, already, I would. Yeah, it's just like okay, the first take was great. I just wanted to hear you say that a few more times. <laughs> okay, can you quickly say the word dick for me ten times? We really got to nail this word right. Yeah, make it absolutely perfect. This is the most important line in all of Dr. Stone. You cannot fuck it up. It has to be perfect. Come on, Rico. You gotta really hit the D in the dick. You know, dick. Dick. (laughs) (laughs) But Yuzuriha's nudity aside, we have more pressing matters to attend to, such as not getting eaten by lions. And uh, as they're running away, Taiji's all like, wait, my brain is working. As he gets the idea to revive someone to provide backup against the lions, as he ran into the perfect candidate earlier, introducing... This monster among high school men, Sukasa Shishio, played here by Ian Sinclair, and get a load of the beef on this guy. Holy shit. And he disposes of the lions, no problem. This is where I also had to realize that, like, where the series is, like, actually pretty realistic with the science. Not realistic with, like, human strength. <laughs> with this cartoony feats of super strength. As Sukasa just, like... Tosses aside these, like, lions and kills them. With his bare hands, no less. Bare hand kills these, like, these, like uh, ancestral zoo lions. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, holy crap. And, like, as soon as... Like, I didn't, know, I didn't know, like, these people were, like, uh, Kryptonians or yeah. something. <laughs> it's like, geez, what are they teaching in MMA nowadays? What do they feed this guy? <laughs> what are Rock Lesnar's having? <laughs> And also, like, as soon as they revive him, free him from the stone, he just, like, grafts onto the situation, like, quickly and without protest. Like, going, oh, you're fighting lions? Okay, just let me take care of that. And then he just quickly dispatches with them. And then he's, and then afterwards, he's just, like, a pretty chill guy. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like, it gets over how, like, noble and honorable he is, too, you know? Like, he instantly vows to protect Senku and Taiju. He like he like takes the lions and he says he's gonna use every part of them to like honor them and stuff, and the next thing you know he like makes clothing from like the lion he killed. A badass lion pelt outfit. Like, ooh, that's badass. That's a good character intro. You know, he says like he wants to give back to the great circle of life, so he must have watched uh, Lion King a lot when he was a kid. But even if Shur's like Taiju and Senku, like as long as you're around me, like don't worry, you will not be, you will be for naught. Like I will protect you. I will provide. <laughs> I'll be the muscle of the team. Like 
mm, like immediately just cool. He's really cool. <laughs> yeah. And soon after that, we get the meaning behind the title of the series. It comes from Senku having Taiju smash down clams into dust, which is calcium carbonate, and that can be used as a basis in many things, such as mortar, agriculture, and most importantly, creating soap. Because in the stone world, hygiene is everything since there's no doctors around. Like, if you get sick, it's game over. And this bar of soap is what you can call Dr. Stone. <laughs> so yeah, like, uh, Dr. Stone, it's not the name of Senku, you know, this isn't like a Frankenstein's monster sort of thing. No, it's the name of the soap he's going to brand once they bring back everything. Yeah. <laughs> $3.99. Yeah. So the following day, things take a bit of a turn as we learn about uh, Sukasa's beliefs in his code of honor. You know, he tells a story about uh, Big Brother being wronged by a shitty adult when he was trying to do something nice for his sick little sister. And this causes him to literally knock the block off a stone person. He fucking kills someone. Like, whoa, you just committed murder, bro. <laughs> and like Senku, like he's talking to Senku here and he's like, he's all like, you know what you just did? You killed someone right there. And he's like, yeah, and? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> Yeah, Sukasa wants to help revitalize civilization, but he doesn't want to bring back any of the awful people in the world. He only wants to revive the young and the pure-hearted. Really doesn't look like adults, this guy. No, not a, not a fan. Not, not, a, not a big fan. Not a fan. <laughs> it's like, if you're over 40, then, like, you can just, like, fuck off yeah. with this guy. You know, maybe if you're an old person, you know, retired, kind of out of the way, he'll maybe allow you, but, uh, no, young people. <laughs> it's, it's no boomers allowed in yeah. this world. <laughs> Sukasa is the natural end of of, of okay boomer. Yeah, he, he's the ultimate uh, Gen Zer. <laughs> and this doesn't move Senku one millimeter as he vows to bring back everyone, no matter if they're good or bad. And Sukasa took that personally. So quite the setup for Sukasa to be our first major obstacle in the show, and uh, and he's kind of morally gray in a way, you know, like. He and has, I love it! It's uh, kind of the Killmonger thing from Black Panther. You know, he has good intentions. You believe what he wants to do, but he's going about it the wrong way. Right, right. He's He's got a good heart, but, you know, he, he kills people. <laughs> and if you go against him, he will personally take your head and shove it up your own ass. He he will. He, he, will, take, he will take extreme measures to make sure you don't get in the way of his ideal world. And he physically can. The dude beat up lions and killed him with his with his bare hands. But again, if you go along with him, he's gonna be fair to you. He's very he's very cool. He will see you as as an equal if you only if you believe what he believes. Yeah, because even in this moment, he's still talking with Senku with respect. And you can kind of tell that he doesn't want to go against Senku or Taiju, but it's like if push comes to shove, he's gonna have to get rid of him. Right. And then Sukasa catches wind of the miracle fluid cave, and Senku uses this as an opportunity to get away from him. Uh, Senku gives Taiju the rundown, and the two make a plan to escape with Izuriha. But first, they revive her, and it's pretty great to see, you know, Taiju and Izuriha reunite after so long. Oh, yeah. And of course, she's fully clothed too. You know, <laughs> made sure to cover those bases. <laughs> Though, uh, funny enough, uh, when, the sh when the show was first airing on Toonami, uh, Brittany Lada brought up uh, quite an interesting point. So if Izuriha's fully clothed, does that include down there? Like, do Senku and Taiju know how to sew underwear, or is she going commando? Hmm, good question. Yeah, then again, questions. we are back in the Stone Age. We don't really need to care about underwear anymore. Yeah. <laughs> and I will say that kilts look very <laughs> airy and comfortable. Yeah, you know, 
Like, are Senku and Taiji going commando? Because I can kind of see them doing that. Yeah, mm, I don't know. They were wearing, like, they were they were wearing uh, leaf undergarments before, so maybe they pre-thought of it to kind of get ahead of the curb a little bit. I, I, like, I don't know. I, can't, I, I, I am not qualified to answer yeah. that question. <laughs> you know, I know they made some uh, Dr. Stone figures of some characters, you know, and you know how accurate uh, Japanese figures are. You know, you got you to gotta check. Buy one and check and see if they're... Uh, they're wearing down there. <laughs> but uh, questions about Yuzuriha shame aside, uh, we have some serious things to worry about. Such as Sukasa hearing about Senku calling him a murderer and planning to show him and the gang how much of a murderer he can be. And they're like, we gotta get the fuck away from this guy. And then he comes in going like, oh, hello, drool buckets. Hi, Sukasa. What were you guys doing? Were you going somewheres? No, we weren't going nowheres. <laughs> <laughs> Though, he does let them live for now so long as they stay out of his way. And also doing this out of respect for Taiju because uh, he tried to batter him, but uh, he took the full brunt of his attacks. So Senku, Taiju, and Izuriha get the hell out of Dodge and go on a cross-country journey to check out how the world looks 3,700 years later. And more importantly, to gather materials to make weapons. And we get a great little scene here where uh, Izuriha comes across a Buddha statue that she and her parents used to visit when she was little. And here it really starts to hit her and the guys that the world they once knew is just gone. And they just take a minute to take it all in, you know? You, you kind of need a moment like that where, like, it really finally sets in. Because Senku, <laughs> he kind of, like, has a bit of a one-track mind. Mm -hmm. Like, in many other stories, when you look at a character like Senku, he could be done very wrong. Oh, definitely. Like, it's amazing how well he's written in the show. Like, he, like, yeah, he can be a dick at times. And, and sure, you do kind of like him for that, but, like, he, he is tempered with, like, a love for people. A love for what science can do for others and how it can improve lives. You know, the series doesn't... I'm thankful the series does not lose track of that with him. Yeah, he, they don't forget to give him empathy. Yes, yes. You, you really need that with uh, asshole protagonists. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it in other works where, like, they they forget about that. With their main characters, and they really suffered. <laughs> and that's really, like, one of the key aspects to, like, any shounen protagonist. You know, they gotta have that empathy, that care of other people. Otherwise, why else would you root for them? Exactly! Like, that's that's pretty important to have. You know, that's why we like Luffy, that's why we like Deku, and that's why we like Senku here. Yeah. And so, soon after, we get a moment that'll actually be important later on. As uh, Yuzuriha still has some uh, stone on her foot, so Taiji uses the fluid to break it away. And Yuzuriha notices that any pain she felt in her foot is all gone. And it seems that not only does the revival fluid free you from the stone, but it also heals any injuries you may have. It's because uh, if the stone fills in any of the cracks in your bodies, and so the uh, so that's how the fluid works and everything like that. Except for those uh, like marks on their bodies, though, yeah. those yep. don't go away. Yep, the cracks that uh, the stone didn't uh, fill in. So that's why we get uh, cool little designs of you know Senku having the designs on his eyes, or Taiju having some on his cheek, Izuri having one on her shoulder. Sukasa's that kind of looks like a claw mark a little bit. Like, it's, it's a nice touch on the bodies. I like that. It's really a nice touch, though. In uh, some cases later on in the series, they do look a little silly. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm all down for that silliness. But I love it. And uh, later on, as the series goes on, uh, there are moments where the cracks actually get really creative and actually play a part in certain characters' uh, personality. Right, right. That's, no, that's just nice to, that's just nice to see. That's, that's, a, that's a cool detail. Anyway, what kind of weapons is, are uh, Senku trying to make? The kind of weapons that use... Gunpowder. Ah, yes, one of one of one of the one of the biggest inventions in history. <laughs> we can use this machine gun to shoot him. <laughs> 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 
that was fun. <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, let's see if I get the recipe down right. Charcoal, saltpeter, and sulfur. I believe that's what makes up uh, gunpowder. Yep. I'm glad I remember that. <laughs> <laughs> the series teaches you. Well, no, I actually knew that before. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, some works will be eager to tell you how... How to make gunpowder. <laughs> Especially in like some post-apocalyptic works. Oh, absolutely. Or some famous western stories. <laughs> oh, and I gotta bring up a really cute scene between Taiju and Yuzuriha where he almost tells her what he was gonna tell her back then in the beginning. But he ultimately decides, you know, I wanna wait until humanity is saved because the world comes first before my own personal feelings. Yeah, that's nice. They find like hot springs and like they actually manage to section them off for a night. So, uh... Taiju and Yuzuria can, like, enjoy a nice uh, bath and stuff. And yeah, then he confides in her, like, don't worry, like, we're, like, like it's, the confession's coming. It's coming. We just gotta wait. Uh, I assure you, readers, it's coming. <laughs> <laughs> we all know it is. Just gotta, we're, we're gonna wait for the right moment. Yeah. <laughs> gonna wait. You know, humanity comes first. Humanity comes first before lovey-dovey. Anyway, time to learn how to make gunpowder in Senku's kitchen. And, uh, I like this kind of, uh, little kitchen cooking show fantasy that we have here. Like, it's, uh, it kind of reminds me a bit of the uh, kind of uh, fantasy sequences in, like, say, uh, Mr. Tonegawa. <laughs> <laughs> it does a little bit, you know, like setting up, setting up a little cooking show to, you know, tell you how to make, like, one of the most uh, destructive, invention destructive inventions in human history. And also the series makes sure to tell you that uh, do not try this at home as uh, all this stuff is easily to come, is easily to come by. Oh, yeah, because the anime has to put a reminder at, like, the end of every episode that, like, the science in these, like, are real. But they also need to put <laughs> reminders in the main series, like, please do not actually make gunpowder. Yeah, and also the uh, the manga itself actually does have a uh, science consultant that uh, Inagaki works with to make sure that the science, uh, in theory, is all 100% practical. Now that is cool! That is fucking cool! Because, <laughs> like, because I'm sure, like, the, because I'm sure, like, the creators, you know, like, didn't have all the answers to science. Probably not. Probably not all the answers to science. Yeah, you know, you can only. Learn it's nice so to much. have someone around who can clarify this stuff for you. And the cool thing about the science consultant for Doctor Stone is that uh, they work with uh, the translators for all the different language versions of Doctor Stone to make sure that the science is accurate, no matter what the language is. Ooh, yeah, that that is an, also a big factor in science. Stuff can making get... making it accessible for everyone. Because you know, sometimes this kind of thing can uh, get lost in translation and. It'll like really fuck up the science, right? Because not all scientific con not all scientific concepts translate across the entire board, you know. You know, and even ingredients they might have like different meanings in different languages too. So you got to make sure this is exactly what we're talking about. Oh yeah, that that is yeah that is an interesting factor there. Making sure like the science is like understood by everyone across the board. Oh, that's interesting. And also, I love how they do it in the show and in the manga itself, where we have these little sides of uh, Mecha Senku, a little robot Senku that uh, talks to the audience, saying, well, like, hey, kids, you can find this at home, but don't try it at home, or at least without uh, parental supervision. It's, it is it is really like the little, like, kitty moment, like, hey, kids, we're going to learn about actual science here. Yeah, from this uh, cartoon robot guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's cute, though. That's that's nice. That's cute, yeah. Like, in the manga, he shows up in, like, in-between panels as a little aside. Yeah, that's that's cute to see. Need a pounding, bro? As uh, <laughs> Taiju smashes two rocks together to uh, get a spark going to test out the gunpowder. But it turns out that the uh, rock that he hit wasn't a rock, but iron pyrite. In short, big rock smash plus iron pyrite equals big boom. Yeesh. And I love the, uh, the look on everyone's faces and the slow, uh, deep breath before the explosion. Just everyone going... 
Boom! Boom. <laughs> the gang notices a smoke signal in the distance, as we aren't alone in this stone world. You know, it's not just four people. Yep, someone noticed the explosion, so they're thinking it might be a signal. So while they try to get this uh, potential new person's attention, they end up getting uh, Sukasa's attentions first. And he goes all uh, Sonic Adventure 2 Eggman here as he holds Yuzuria hostage at Spear Point. And Senku tries to, you know, no-sell this, fop this all off, but Sen- but Tsukasa knows that he isn't messing around, you know. And he sh- swiftly chops off Yuzuria's hair, too, to show that he isn't fucking around. And, uh, oh, she gave, gave her, like, a nice little bob cut. That's actually kind of cute. <laughs> Thanks, Tsukasa. <laughs> so Senku gives in and tells Tsukasa what he is really after, the recipe for the revival fluid. And he's all like, oh, thank you, Senku. Now you die. As Sukasa does try to give Senku one, one final chance to join him. In exchange, he has to give up science for good. You know, drop this science crap. Join me. Follow what I have to do. We can help revitalize humanity together under my rule. But Senku declines because science has been his whole life ever since he was a little baby Senku Jr. And we, we do get some flashbacks here of uh, little Senku and little Taiju science adventures, which are pretty cute. As we see that little Senku could build some pretty advanced stuff for his time. Yeah, very Jimmy Neutron boy genius here. I, like I, I was, I was looking at that and I was thinking like, um, yeah, we gotta wait for like the spinoff eventually of this. Yeah, <laughs> like at one point. That's another thing that's probably coming someday. Yeah, like just at... watch spinoff manga, Young Senku, Young Senku Adventures. You, you, I, I just look at something like that and like. The, the, the part of my brain that remembers bit like baby Muppets <laughs> it's just like oh it's coming it's coming <laughs> Dr. Stone babies they make the dreams come true oh god <laughs> <laughs> well yeah we see him like uh, fighting off bullies with like a ray gun too and all that <laughs> but no like we learned that like Senku has like loved science all throughout his, his entire life and he's not gonna turn his back on it now even in the face in the same face of death like, there's even a moment where, like, we see him, like, in school, and the teacher's all like, so, what do you want to be when you grow up? I'm going to space. Oh, being an astronaut is nice. Maybe when you get older. No, I am going to space, and I will figure that out soon enough. Then <laughs> <laughs> we see him try to build a rocket, you know, and go through trial and error. It's, like, it's it, it's nice to see. And we also see that he has a very supportive parent who gives him all the science materials that that he needs. Yeah, he's got a cool parent that, like, provides for him, and we see, like, you know, Taiju and Yuzuria with him the entire way. Ah, oh, so nice. And so, yeah, Sukasa already kind of knew that Senku wouldn't give up science, even when he was asked to. And I really dig the Senku and Sukasa dynamic, you know, they have wildly different ideals in the stone world, but there's still, like, a level of respect and admiration between the two of them. Yeah, yeah, like, it, like I, that's that's what makes Sukasa actually, like, work and make you want to, like, see him, like, really go, is that he's still, like, he still has, like, a baseline of respect for Senku that, ma- that really helps for them both, like, speak on terms with each other and, you know, really discuss, like, the philosophy of their actions in a much more interesting manner. Like, Sukasa even offers to, like, just, like, like slash him right in the back of his neck, too, and be like, don't worry, it, don't worry, I'll slash you right in the back of the neck. It'll be real painless. You won't feel a thing, bro. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, he even says that, you know, if things were different, if this was 3,700 years ago, maybe they might have would might have been friends. Oh, man. It's kind of tragic, and we do see, like, you know... It's such a, and it's in such a short amount of time, that feels like it means something. And, like, we get we get to see scenes, you know, little what-if scenarios of, like, little Sukasa being with, like, little Taiju and uh, little Senku and little Yuzuriha. It's amazing what, like, it's just... a. a Small amount of dialogue. How small amount of di- small small amount of dialogue 
even at this early point in the series, can go a long way. It's 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 interesting to see. I like it. So even though he's feeling a bit remorseful, Sukasa delivers the killing blow as he uh, swiftly snaps the back of like Senku's neck, uh, severing the cervical nerve. And yeah, Senku's fucking dead. Well, series over. Okay, not really. <laughs> not really. Nah, nah. Turns out Senku isn't dead, as uh, Sukasa actually hit a lingering piece of stone in the back of Senku's neck, which uh, took the brunt of the hit. And they remember earlier with uh, the stone on Izuriha's foot that uh, they use revival fluid to break away the stone, and it fills in the cracks and heals Senku here. Oh, and also, like, uh, great moves from Taiju and Izuriha trying to get away from Sukasa, like, really smart where Taiju throws the stone that he uh, used earlier in the air, and then Izuriha spreads all the uh, all the gunpowder everywhere, which, when the stone lands, it causes a big explosion. Also, let Sukasa know, like, yeah, don't fuck with us. Like, we got gunpowder, man. <laughs> And so, uh, as, uh, Senku regains consciousness, we fly, flash back to see, uh, what he did when he first awoke in the stone world and the early months of his survival, and seeing him also run afoul of, uh, some monkeys, too. <laughs> and it was all great to see, and also, one thing I really like that, uh, this detail, not only in the anime, but also in the manga, the little RPG-style text boxes whenever something happens. Ah, uh, that's nice. <laughs> like, it sticks around throughout the entire series, and I it's like it. It's that Dragon Quest influence, Yeah, man. It's, 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 you know, it finds its way in. And also, uh, during this time, you know, the early days of Senku's survival, he uh, hypothesizes the uh, cause of the petrification, you know, who runs through all the possibilities. And uh, as someone who's following the manga, I will say, at this point in the manga, we do know the how. We do know how it happened. But not the why. Mm. Not the why, man. Right. <laughs> but I think it's just important to even know that there is a why to it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's also pretty big. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, with Senku up and at him, it's time to think of a new plan to deal with Tsukasa. As Senku's going to stay low, still pretending to be dead, and come up with a way to combat him. And in the meantime, to sell Senku's death, Taiju and Yuzuriha are going to join up with Tsukasa since uh, they have nowhere to go and no one, no one else to turn to. And they can be moles for Senku. It's kind of surprising, yeah, it's kind of surprising that that idea actually does appear to work, actually. Yeah. And, and we, 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 we don't see, like, exactly how that went down, but, like, yeah, the, by this point in the series... Taiju and Yuzuria are out. Yeah. Like, they, they, are, they are benched for, for the time being. Yep, they're just off to join Tsukasa's Empire Might, and yeah, never see him until the, at least the very end. And to give credit, Tsukasa didn't have a problem with either of them, no. so he, he, might be, he might be forgiving. You know, there's still a bit of that uh, sort of empathy on uh, Tsukasa's side. But you also get the, the idea, you also get the feeling from Tsukasa that if you just, like, so long as you don't challenge his ideas... He'll treat you fine. Yeah. As long as you don't say anything about him crushing statues. You know, stay in line, don't step out of line, follow what I have to do. Right. The, then then you can eat cake. <laughs> <laughs> and as a parting gift, Yuzuriha makes Senku a science flight, complete with a cute little rocket ship. Aw, cute. I mean, it's it's not a very good-looking rocket, but yeah. it does the trick. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well, fun fact, during the uh, Tinami broadcast of the dub, uh, the cast... It was but... censored. <laughs> <laughs> Big ol' cock on the flag. <laughs> could you imagine on the broadcast, the rocket's just censored? Yeah. Because <laughs> some dipshit censored. Yeah. <laughs> Thought, thought had a dirty mind. It's like, oh, what are these down here? Those are fins. Nope, balls. <laughs> What's this flag right here? <laughs> you think we're going to put that on television? Oh, fuck no. You can say shit at this hour, but you can't put penises on here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what one really? But, uh, but uh, during the Toonami broadcast, uh, the dub cast would actually have like uh, watch parties. Uh, remember those? Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, Brittany Lauda actually made a cake with that design on it. 
Oh, cute. Yeah, it, like looked accurate and made of frosting and everything. Oh, nice. And so the trio go their separate ways for now. And yeah, this is the last we see of uh, Taiju and Yuzuriha, but uh, it's it's not quite, uh, you know, Kurapika and Leorio leaving Hunter Hunter for, <laughs> like, months on end. Right, right. Like, we're not going to, like, drop those characters off and then completely finish the story yeah. of two other characters. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this doesn't, this doesn't turn into the Senku show throughout the rest of the run. Yeah, they're, they're, they're benched for now, but they can still come back in the game. <laughs> So Senku heads out to find the source of the smoke signal from earlier in order to persuade them to join his kingdom of science. And uh, let's meet them, or rather, her, now. Sukasa comes across a girl. A girl wielding double blades who charges at him head on. She saw everything that went down between Sukasa and Senku, and that's why she's attacking him. And Sukasa deduces, based on how primitive she acts, she isn't someone who was revived, but someone who was born in the stone world. So Sukasa pins her underneath a tree and pieces out. Senku arrives on the scene soon after and manages to free her with a compound pulley. And this really impresses the girl, and she takes quite a liking to him. Oh yeah, load up that ship fuel. <laughs> Until Senku saves us all and just like, yeah, you like me? <laughs> <laughs> My love is science and that's it. <laughs> but time for proper introductions. Introducing... My best girl, the resident lioness Kohaku, played here by Felicia Angel. I love Kohaku so much. She's the best, and she's got some serious beef. Oh yeah, she's a badass. Just just alone being able to go toe-to-toe with Tsukasa just immediately sets her up as, like, the, the badass of what we're for the next part of the series. And I see her now, and uh, knowing what she does later in the series, I just look at her and go, ah, it would be an honor to be bench-pressed by her. <laughs> and Felicia, she gives a great performance. I love how she plays Kohaku, and I also love her little confident ha at the start of every sentence. Oh yeah, she yeah because she yeah she's a very like very important to the emotional core of the upcoming storytelling. So yeah, she puts in a fine performance as her. And fun fact, Ohaku is actually Boichi's favorite character in Doctor Stone to Draw. No, I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> this is a, you can cut out what I just said from the podcast. But like, I was gonna make a reference to the porn. <laughs> No, I shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> like that's that's in his past. He doesn't do that anymore. Like, and it, at least not anymore. I don't think. Uh, Even if he did, who gives a fuck? Yeah. Like, yeah but like, <laughs> let's just say I looked at those works, and it's like, mm, like, it's like you see like what he draws in those. <laughs> you see what he draws in those. <laughs> and then I look at all the girls in this series, and I'm just like. Thank God this guy had restraint. Yeah. <laughs> I look at this guy, I'm like, thank God you're not Hiro Mashima. <laughs> Great contrast between, like, a guy who can draw, like, hardcore stuff. <laughs> or, not too hardcore, but, like, oof. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and then can, and then his total restraint over here compared to Hiro Mashima, who's never drawn porn, but, like, swings in, like, the... Wishes he could. Like, swings right down in, like, another awful direction. Where he just has, like, no respect for his characters or storytelling. And just, like, doesn't care, like, how he portrays them in any way. I mean, when you're... Or doesn't care about, like, the, like an overload of, like, you know, that content. I mean, when you really think about it, like, comparing their art styles, they're kind of similar in the way, you know, where, like, the women are a little, uh, curvaceous in some ways, but also very strong, and the men are all jacked and ripped and everything. Uh... I don't know, Mashima doesn't, like, care too much for, like, the musculature of his, like, characters. I don't know, they're all pretty beefy. Kind of, but it's, like, 
I don't know. Maybe I'm focusing a lot on like the faces. The the faces like intrinsically different. Intrinsically different. Yeah, Mashima very shameless, <laughs> and this guy like has restraint. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I I prefer that far more because <laughs> the Mashima it's just like. fucking frustrating yeah really fucking frustrating but yeah i have a quote from boichi here you know saying that he kawaku's his favorite to draw and he says quote i keep asking senku why don't you go back to being petrified and then when i draw taiju do you want to be stone again the only character i truly love is kohaku she is my favorite and i wish i could only draw kohaku i'm asking you dr stone fans please buy only kohaku figures (laughs) (laughs) hell i'll take him off on that yeah i'll buy one i love a kohaku figure yeah since Senku is looking for allies to join his kingdom of science, Kohaku offers to introduce him to some folks that could be of service. But first, Senku's got to help Kohaku with something first, help her bring back big jugs of hot spring water to her sister in the village. And speaking of the village, we get our first look at civilization in the stone world in the form of a primitive island village full of young, old, and in-between people helping out doing tasks all while wearing these, like, really uncomfortable looking uh, platform sandal things these <laughs> yeah like like why 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 was that why was that the fashion choice for this village like it's so unique but so impractical <laughs> <laughs> senku then gets introduced to the two guards of the village the brothers first mr rules are the rules aka kinro played here by josh greeley and second mr shitboy aka ginro played here by justin briner though uh, as strong as they both are they can't compare to kohaku and so Senku, like, looks at these guys and he tries to think of a peaceful way to kind of get him on their side. So he wows them with basic science, or sorcery as uh, they refer to it as. Mm. His uh, first trick is just uh, blowing bubbles and then the guards are all like, what? what is this floating stuff in the air? And they kind of poke at it with their spears. <laughs> it's like this is the only point in the series where we can do these jokes, folks. Let's get them out of the way. Yeah, you know, have your fill, have your fill. <laughs> And it turns out uh, that this village has a sorcerer of their own. And, oh my god, it's time! Time for him! Time for my boy! Your, your favorite character of the series. But the boyest boy who ever boyed boys. <laughs> Introducing the village sorcerer, my bad boy, Chrome, played here by my also boy, Matt Shipman, double boys all the way across the sky. <laughs> Let's hear it for the boys! Give the boys a hand! And quite the fun introduction here, as uh, he demonstrates some of his sorcery. You know, very, very proud of his sorcery, too, you know. Hey, Chrome, help! It's sorcery! Yeah, yeah. Would you quit freaking out, Ginro? I'm one step ahead of you, as usual. I spotted them from the beach, so of course I ran here as fast as I could. Hey, I'm the one called Chrome. Bad and insanely smart. I'm the genius sorcerer of the village! Looks like we won't have to track him down, Senku. This is the guy I mentioned yesterday. Ah, so he's a sorcerer now, is he? My name's Senku, and I'm a scientist. I know you're scared because you're not as smart as me, but don't let his cheap trickery get to you. These things are super easy to create. All you need is charcoal, ash, and boiling water. I wasn't scared of them, but you'd be a fool not to be cautious of the unknown. I actually was pretty scared, to be honest. We don't need you here, Chrome. I'm not dumb enough to believe that your dubious sorcery would help us. Believe what you want. I don't care. 
But know this, I'm not backing down, cause sorcery is my specialty! So step off and let me handle this guy! If we fight right here, there's a chance some of the villagers could get hurt. Let's move it somewhere else. What total crap. Their reactions to basic flame tests. You threw salt, copper, and some sulfur into the fire in that order. So the copper. Is it copper sulfate? He wouldn't know that. Did you use some blue crystals? Maybe you found them in the caves? <laughs> oh, shit! How in the hell would a total outsider like him know about the blue crystals? He must be able to read my mind or something. No way! His kind of sorcery? I didn't even know that was possible! Oh no, I'm so scared, I gotta run away now! That's what I thought would happen. You've defeated me. Please allow me to be your apprentice. Was another possibility. I mean, one or the other, but not like this. I was actually kind of worried what my plan would be if he had asked to become my apprentice. Uh, hey, I'll have you know that my sorcery is definitely not just completely made up of little tricks and cheap crap like that. I didn't say anything. I love Chrome so much. He's, he's so bad, as he would say. <laughs> right, he likes calling things bad. Uh, finds his sorcery to be uh, really cool. <laughs> <laughs> and it's all just him taking a bunch of different rocks and minerals and throwing them into a fire going all like, yeah, are you impressed by all of this? And he's like, and, and Senku's just like, you just chucked copper into a fire and it turned green. <laughs> and then I love that you get a close-up on Chrome's face. He's got this confident smile and then it just goes... Oh, shit! <laughs> How did he know that? What? Is there another sorcerer in this world? I thought I was the only one. <laughs> Senku's got to flip him around with high school science experiments. Unfortunately, Senku has to invent the rubber ball first and discover liquid <laughs> nitrogen. <laughs> that's, that's... In another in another universe, that would have been the first arc of the series. <laughs> The rubber ball and liquid nitrogen trick. That was one of my favorites in high school. That was. That was always the cool one, because then the teacher could do the cool thing where they take it and then, like, chuck it against the wall, and then it shatters into a bunch of pieces. <laughs> I actually own a piece of a rubber ball. Oh. Still, from that time in high school when it first happened for me. Oh, wow. Well, one of my neighbors actually held on to a piece from, from, like, high school for her, and then, like, when I heard about that, I was just like, oh, yeah, I, I'm totally going to keep one of those pieces <laughs> for the rest of time. And sure enough, it sits in a little box in my, it sits in a little box in my possession. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah, it's just a, just to know that I, I had, uh, I had, a, I appreciated the memories of science from high school. <laughs> well, yeah, here we have, like, Senku showing off all these different tricks. He does, like, the little, uh, you know static electricity thing where you like charges up a ball of electricity and it causes your hair to fly up and everything <laughs> and like when i first watched dr stone and the moment i saw chrome he 
immediately won me over. Like, as soon as I saw him, my first thought was, oh, just get out of my dreams and into my boy's stable. <laughs> but it's not just this part of this, but, like, what wins you over with Chrome, though, is how he reacts afterwards when Senku explains, yeah, the stuff you're doing, it's not magic, it's science. And Chrome's like, science? And Senku just rolls up his sleeves and gives Chrome the total rundown of what's actually happened. And, like, after their battle of wits and science were before, like, Senku basically just finds a new protege in Chrome. Like, they immediately become best friends soon after this. And I love their friendship so much. And it's like, they're both equals too in science, as we'll soon see. Well, yeah, because Chrome, Chrome has loved this, has loved what, uh, you know, he now knows as science for, like, a long time. And uh, you do get somewhat of a, an impression, too, that he's uh, he was somewhat alienated because of it as well. You know, probably looked upon as a bit of a weirdo. But here he has finally found a kindred spirit in Senku, Who's telling him, like, you're not weird. This is science. And yes, it is cool. <laughs> let, let me teach you some stuff here, and let's learn together. <laughs> and Chrome is just like, like, my man! <laughs> Fist bump. <laughs> and I love how Chrome shows Senku his uh, science shed full of all the rocks and minerals he's collected, and they're just both geeking out over everything. I mean, geeking out is like 70% of what Chrome does in the series. Because <laughs> so much that Senku... Uh, uh, brings up is just, you know, science that, like, he's, like, you know, a lot of basic science, but he's never heard of it before. At least most of it he has not. And he's, and, he, and it's like a learning session for him. He's, he effectively becomes Senku's apprentice. And he's just, like, all Chrome, just, like, wide-eyed and amazed at everything, and he goes, oh, that's bad! <laughs> and also, I gotta point out, I love Matt Shipman's performance as Chrome so much. Like, I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast and other episodes that I think he's great, and this performance is no different, you know? He's my number one voice actor boy for a reason. It's it's a role where you gotta act surprised a lot. A lot. And you, and you need a good actor who can, be, like, deliver being surprised in a wide range of ways. And also just have a lot of energy and also do basically a lot of shouting. Yup, need a lot of that too. He's He was, he was perfect for the role. He was. And so they try to win over the guards by making Kinro a golden spear because, uh, you know, as we find out, uh, the names Kinro and Ginro actually translate to both uh, gold and silver. That's a gimmick throughout this entire village. All the villagers are named after uh, stone and materials and all that. It's, it's sometimes in English, sometimes in Japanese. Yeah. And later on, we're introduced to uh, Kohaku's previously mentioned sister, guarded by two village higher-ups, Jasper, played here by Patrick Carroll, and Turquoise, played here by Mallory Rodak. This is the village priestess, Ruri, played here by Kristen McGuire. And we see that she's not doing so hot. That's why uh, Kohaku goes out of her way to get her hot spring water every single day. And we also see that uh, Chrome became a sorcerer in order to help heal Ruri, as uh, he secretly has a bit of a crush on her. And everyone in the village knows about this, but he doesn't know that everyone knows. <laughs> it's actually really cute. <laughs> it's uh, it, Yeah, like where often it's like just so obvious to everyone and like <laughs> around you. But like these two, like it's it's cute. And we do see a little flashbacks, a little baby Chrome and baby Rory, you know, and Chrome's all like, oh, like they have I'll a long history you. with each other. You know, it's just like, oh, you're sick? Well, I'll help you. I'll find all kinds of rocks and stuff and that'll find ways to cure you. Yes, this is one of the, this is one of the first big scientific hurdles of the entire series. Ruri is sick. So after getting a crash course in humanity's advancements in science, Chrome is more pumped than ever to help Senku bring it all back. And Kohaku, like, she's gonna be able to cure her sister. Yes, that is the big thing she's really worried about. She's like, she cares about her sister so much. She's so caring. So much that she will bring in a total stranger like Senku, who says that, like, science can help, 
and help them all the way. Yeah, like, pretty much saying all of these things that are weird and alienating to people in this village that have never heard of any of this stuff. And then this weirdo with, like, onion hair comes in and talks about, like, cars and planes and Monster Hunter and all that. You know, very trusting. <laughs> we need to gain the village's trust since uh, they don't take too kindly to Senku because he's an outsider. And the surefire way is to help Ruri with her illness, which means we gotta make some drugs. <laughs> drugs, drugs, drugs. Looking for more drugs. <laughs> All right, kids, we're gonna teach you how to make cocaine. <laughs> it was one of the oldest medicines out there. <laughs> it can help. It can help with a lot of things. This is what we call a crank machine. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're making antibiotics, to be exact. So, uh, Ruri, take a Z-pack. But uh, don't take too much or else you'll uh, poop yourself like CM Punk that one time. <laughs> and like with creating the revival fluid earlier, Senku sets a goal, lists all the materials needed, and meticulously lays out the route to get there with some side stops on the way. And like we said, the formula is this formula, but it works so well, and even in a show in OS. And in the process, they will build up the Kingdom of Science, which... We should clarify, when Senku talks about the Kingdom of Science in the series, it's more like a conceptual Kingdom of Science. Yeah. It, least, like a metaphor. It's, it's a metaphor of sorts. Yeah. Early phases. We'll uh, workshop it later. Right. Like, not going to be actually a king here, but just like, you know, we're just get, it's It's about bringing science to everybody. You know, it's like an outreach program. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or like, not, not an outreach program, but like... Uh, like a, like a summer science camp, almost. Yeah, you know, after school club, that sort of thing. To, it's to teach everyone how cool science is and to really, like, bring it, to bring the awesomeness of it to as many people as possible. So keep that in mind. Yeah. <laughs> so first up, we need to find iron, and they know just where to look since Senku discovers that uh, Chrome uh, has some and has some ideas on where to find them since he showed off, uh, he tries to show off this invention, you know, saying like, ah, I got a thing that can show off, that can tell where True North is at all times think it's pretty cool, and then Senku's all like, oh yeah, that's Compass, we had those in the past. <laughs> and uh, this is a runner I like throughout the entire series, where Chrome invents something, thinks he's created something new and unique, but then Senku's just all like, oh yeah, we had that in the past. Yeah, you just rediscovered it. Yeah. It's not new. <laughs> but no, good stuff on uh, creating that in the Stone World. I give you props. So they use the magnets from the Compass to collect iron sand in the stream. And uh, with just the three of them, it's going to take a while to uh, collect enough iron. We're going to need some more help. And help comes in the form of a... Watermelon? Oh yeah, introducing the sweet melon baby, Suika, played here by Sarah Wiedenhef, and look how cute she is with her Captain Melonhead helmet yeah, here. Yeah, she's this like little like uh, village girl who seemingly doesn't have any parents. Yeah, like, I, I will say this now, up to date on the manga, we don't see her parents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we're kind of just left to assume she's, you know, an orphan, I guess. <laughs> and also the name Suika, which literally means watermelon in Japanese, so... Technically, she doesn't have, like, a, a name name. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, she's not named after an element like no, the other she, people in the village. No, she's just named after her little melon hat that she wears. Right, right. So it's probably the only name she was ever given. But, uh, yeah, this, like, a cute little orphan girl who, like, just, like, goes around everywhere wearing a melon hat. <laughs> <laughs> like, little, like, with, like, little, like, white, like, lenses and stuff. And she can even hide inside the melon yeah, and roll she can around. Fit her whole body and roll. Like, ah, that's adorable. <laughs> and uh, I think uh, Boy GS said that uh, the reason her melon helmet doesn't look like an actual melon is because uh, she rolls around in it so much that uh, it's uh, rubbed off all the uh, lines on the rind. Oh, okay. So there was an explanation for that. So that's why it looks more like a green tomato than, an old, <laughs> than a watermelon. Or like a big green apple. Yeah. Kinda, you know? <laughs> and, aw, she wants the help. She wants to be useful. 
and Senku doesn't won't turn down any kind of help, and she's so happy because he's the first person who doesn't think she's weird for wearing a melon Ryan on her head. And I love Suika, she's just so adorable. Yeah, she's like the yeah, she's just like the little kid sidekick to the gang for the good chunk of the series. Yeah, she's essentially the mascot in the entire show. Yeah, she kind of, yeah, I could see her as that. Mm. So time to turn this iron sand into a full-on iron, which which means we gotta blow like hell. And I love this. They spend all day and night screaming and pumping air into this uh, clay furnace that Senku made. And it doesn't work because they just don't have enough energy to get the heat up to, like, uh, the temperature they need. Boichi, it's... it's Looking at this, uh, Boichi really loves facial expressions in the series. Oh, he does absolutely so much. He loves crazy facial expressions. You'll see, he gets so creative with them in the series. Like, just big eyes, big head, big mouths, just people's tongues hanging out and just everyone screaming when they do that. Well, also, like, most of the people working here are not, like, physically adept either. Senku in particular. That's one thing I really love about the series is that it makes sure you know that Senku is physically weak. Yes, they, they, they. That's another thing I like about it too. He he's not like so easily he could have been like a Mary Sue character, but uh, like the his writer knew to give him limitations. One of the big ones is he's not physically adept. <laughs> he doesn't do physical activities. Like there are moments where they're just simply hiking from one location to another, and you see Senku in the background, like looking like he's on death's door. He could barely even make fire without a tool either. Yeah. He- because he didn't have the physical strength to do it. He had to use a tool of some kind mm-hmm. to, like, really get, like, a fire going. Like, I like that. It's a good limitation to have. It is. And, like, it gets even better in the manga, too. Like, there are at least so many great moments where everyone just points out that Senku has, like, the strength of, like, an ant. <laughs> like, like he's got, like, he really needs to do some cardio, at the very least. <laughs> he's a bit like uh, Mr. Burns, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but it does mean he needs to rely on others for, like, their physical strength for any, like, uh, labor that, like, they may, may need. At least in, like, these early stages of the Kingdom of Science. And that sets up an opportunity for, like, building a team, setting up teamwork and everything. It has, like, a good kayfabe explanation because Senku can't do it all. And he never looks down on anyone because of it either. No. Like, he knows just full well that he's a weakling and that he needs, like, other people's strength. If they're if they're all gonna come together for for the sake of science and like he'll make digs, he's at, humble in that regard, and he'll make digs at some of them here and there for being super strong. Like he'll occasionally call Kohaku a gorilla or a lioness, right? But like he still loves and respects the, her strength. It's it's good natured chiding, yeah. You know? <laughs> you know, he can't not be snarky, right? Right. They're all still like friends at the end of the day, you know. Got to like chide each other a little bit, you know. <laughs> so we're gonna need more manpower, and this is where Suika, or should I say, Great Detective Suika, gets the shine. And, uh, yeah, we see, like, her stealth skills on full display here where she hides in her little melon helmet and just rolls around town hiding amongst other melons, other objects, and spying on people. Because they're like, how are we going to get the labor for this? Well, let's spy on these people and, like, see if we can turn to our side a little bit. Like, what is it the people in this village want? Yes, like, take that and then bribe them with it later. So what do they want? Well, the Sparkly Sisters, Ruby, Sapphire, and Garnet... We are the Crystal Gems. <laughs> they all want boyfriends. And one in particular wants a guy who can provide a big feast for her. And uh, Suiko remembers that another villager wants to try new food because he's so sick of eating fish all the time. And we have our plan. Bribe the villagers with food. And what kind of food? Ramen. Made with uh, foxtail millet here. <laughs> and Senku got the idea from, say- from uh, seeing Suika play with her uh, cute little puppy named Chalk played by Monica Rial. You know, she has, like, a little foxtail millet, and she's using that kind of, like, as, like, you know, a toy. Little, little dog toy. 
I also love that Suica has a little doggy. <laughs> it's cute. <laughs> so they make foxtail millet ramen, and it's delicious! To Kohaku, Chrome, and Suica. To Senku, who's had real ramen, it tastes absolutely disgusting. Yeah, yeah, like, with that, with, made with that foxtail millet, it's, yeah, he says it's gotta be, like, just the most bitter thing ever. Yeah, you know, you gotta substitute that, substitute wheat for that, and it just kind of kills it, but uh, in the stone world where this kind of food has never existed, it'll work perfectly. Let's see if anyone actually tried to make that in real life. I want to see that, like, say, I want to, I, I actually kind of want to taste it. You know, get, even like, if it is awful, I want to taste it. Or, like, say, get uh, Binging with Babish to, like, make a uh, foxtail millet ramen on his YouTube show. Just anyone, just anyone try to make that. Yeah. I want to try it. Try it. Try it once and then never again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, as they serve uh, ramen to everyone, uh, one of the Sparkly Sisters tries to flirt with Senku, but he's having none of it. And we have, like, a good back and forth here where she's all like, so, thank you. What kind of girls do you like? The kind that can pump a ton of oxygen into my furnace. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what you're into. <laughs> Though the villagers aren't the only ones enjoying the ramen, as uh, there's another one, another outsider amongst them, who could go for some cola with his ramen. Oh boy, introducing the mentalist, Gen Asagiri, played here by Brandon McInnes. Gen is the absolute worst and that makes him the best. He is a shit, and I love him. <laughs> I like this guy a lot. <laughs> yes, uh, it's everyone catches on pretty quickly to Gen. Uh, appears out of nowhere, and he's got the petrification scars. <laughs> everyone can immediately know what's going on here. Yep. Like, just the word instantly pops in your head. Spy. 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 He's a spy. <laughs> And also, he's Elyray Uinflay in Iglatin Pay. Yeah, that's a, that's a weird little character work. He occasionally speaks in Pig Latin. It's weird, but I kind of like it. It just kind of, it just adds that little extra something to Gen. Pretension is that what it is? A little bit, yeah. You know, he's like he's a little pretentious. He's just showing off that, like he doesn't have to do it, but he just kind of just talks like that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because we find out that uh, he back before he was petrified, uh, he was a huckster. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sorry. He was a psychic. Psychic or a TV magician. Right. You know, like a, a mentalist, yeah. you know. <laughs> you know, uh, a Gary Spivey of the Psychic Companion Network here. Right, right. The, the, the You know, the, the polar opposite of a scientist. Yeah, and someone who works so well with Senku, just like, they're, the way they bounce off each other, their back and forths, it's just so perfect, because they're so different, yet at the same time, they're so kind of similar in a way. Yeah, well, I guess, like, Gen is a pretty, like, congenial guy. Even even if he is, like, everything he's, even if everything he says to you is all towards his own personal ends. Yeah. Because he makes it pretty clear, like, if I'm going to help anyone in this world, it's going to be anyone who's going to bring me ahead. He's going to give me what I want. Yeah, he is 100% just in it for himself. Like, if you, if you, if going with you will help me get in harem, then I'll go with you. <laughs> If, or, or if you get, or if like it means I can get a nice cola, then all the better. You got to show me what's what's in it for me first. You know, I'll I'll stick with a, a certain group, but they got to be the winning side. You know. Yep, he only sticks with the winners. <laughs> and Senku knows Gen is here to spy on him for Sukasa, but uh, Gen isn't going to reveal that Su Senku's alive just yet. You know, you know, he just wants to see, he just wants to see how things work. You know, see if uh, maybe Senku can offer him a little something something. They're like, are you going to, like, rat on us? And he's like, I don't know. Do I need to? Yeah. <laughs> you know, give me a reason not to rat on you. Like, what can you, like, what's in it for me? <laughs> that that explains Gen well. What's in it for me? 
So Senki's going to show again the true power of the Kingdom of Science by creating a generator. But first, we need magnets, and the way to get that is to use the iron rod they made, wrap it in copper wiring, and zap it with lightning, you know, Back to the Future style. But we need something to hold the rod in the air to attract the lightning, and this leads to a great bit where they're all on top of the bald mountain, and Kinro and Ginro go to spy on them, see what they're up to. And then Kohaku's all like, oh, we need something to hold this rod up in the air, but what? Looks around, and then we just get a great facial expression from her, where she's all like, eh. And then just, like, looks at Kinro, and he's all like, Oh, no, 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 you're not taking my golden spear! <laughs> just runs over, kicks it out of his hand, grabs it, slams it into the ground, ties the rod to it with her headband, and it gets destroyed by lightning, but then magnetizes the iron rod. Bye-bye, <laughs> golden spear. Uh, poor Kinro, but hey, we got magnets. And fucking magnets, how do they work? <laughs> so, they build a dual-wheeled hand-crank power generator with the magnetized rod as a conductor, and they convince Kinro and Ginro to operate it since they're so in sync. And Senku said, let there be light, as for the first time in over 3,700 years, electricity has returned to the world. Also, fucking, ah, bright. Ah, my eyes, they burn. Like, realist, I think realistically, if you were doing a reaction like that, you would need goggles, lest you go blind. Yeah, because like, uh, you know, Kohaku Senku, you should know this. You're the scientist. You know, Kohaku in the village, you know, they haven't seen any kind of electric electricity all their lives, and they see this, they... Probably would have gone blind. Senku's right in front of it. He's making it. Like, how is he not, like, blind after this? And we see how strong the light is. You know, we get an overhead shot of Japan, and we see that it sparkles and kind of almost engulfs part of the country. Well, even back when we did science experiments, like, minor science experiments in both, like, high, in high school and a little bit in college. Yeah, that was always a big deal. Like, don't look directly at your chemical reactions. <laughs> You're gonna get burned. <laughs> So, Gen is about to head out and go back to Sukasa, but he runs into a slight problem in the form of the village meathead. Introducing a real nasty bastard, Magma, played here by J. Michael Tatum, and he's joined by his little toady Mantle, played here by Sunny Strait. Magma, he has a real bill from Beastars energy about him. Mmm, yeah, it does. He's a piece of shit, but he knows he's a piece of shit, and he loves it. Like, he's playing, he's playing up his heel nature. Yeah, he is a true, you know, MJF-style heel. And he proceeds to beat the ever-loving shit out of Gen and leaves him for dead. Or does he? As Gen packed himself full of fake blood packs, which protected him from the brunt of Magma's attacks. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> he covered himself and he actually found a way to like make like primitive blood packs <laughs> to cover himself. You know, just in the off chance Senku or someone just comes at you with a spear in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, we see before, like, he tried to like uh, Gen tried to, like, uh, turn away uh, Magma from seeing the experiment and stuff. Or, like, trying to get to Senku or something, or, like, rat him out or whatever. And uh, and he just, like, tries to do a magic trick in front of him where he, like, makes flowers, you know, disappear. Yeah, the sleight of hand, yep. hide it behind his palms. Yep, sleight of hand behind his palms, you know, and that turned away him for now. But that uh, apparently inadvertently made Magma think that uh, Gen was the new sorcerer around. You know, he's got magic powers and I can't let him ar be around the village. He's gonna like, kill us all. So, yeah, again, you, you took one for the team. <laughs> Saved Senku here. Good job, buddy. <laughs> As he's just writhing on the ground with bruises. With a spear in his abdomen. <laughs> and he's all like... And Suika's just off to the side going like, Oh no, Gen's dead. <laughs> no, but he, no, he just wishes he was. Yeah. <laughs> uh, by the way, I should probably mention this here. Uh, Magma and Gen's uh, voice actors here, uh, they're married. 
Oh, nice. <laughs> Can you imagine, you know, Tatum going up to Brandon saying, like, Hey, on, guess what? I get to kill you at work today. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> so, yeah, the, the another big reason that uh, Magma tried to kill Gen is that uh, he believes since he's a sorcerer, he's going to use his sorcerer powers to give Kohaku some extra strength for the upcoming tournament called the Grand Bout. You know, it's an annual village fighting tournament where the winner gets to marry the village priestess, in this case, Ruri. And Magma wants to marry Ruri so he can be village chief and rule over everyone with an iron fist. But Gohaku wouldn't allow this asshole to get anywhere near her sister, so she joined in to stop him. And so begins the next step in the get Ruri medicine in order to gain the trust of the village plan, as that's for our Kingdom of Science to enter and win the grand bout in order to get close to Ruri and keep Magma away from her. And so the following day, Gen is able to get back to full strength and runs off to Sukasa, where he tells him that Senku is indeed 100% dead. And that there's a village full of strong warriors that almost killed him and that they shouldn't mess with them. And it's at that moment we truly welcome Gen into the Kingdom of Science. Nice to have, nice to, nice to really play that one, you know? Like, bit of a gamble on that guy, but like, yeah, like, Senku is the master of the bluff in the series. <laughs> Actually, in that regard, he and he and Gen are actually like kind of similar. They're both quite good at bullshit. Yeah, when, like <laughs> when they need it. <laughs> like Senku's pretty upfront when it comes to like science. That like you know like what he's doing is not like bogusness because like I, f- I feel like like some other writers probably would have had like Senku passes science off actually as magic. Yeah, but but yeah. Senku has too much respect for too like, much integrity and all t- that. Too much respect for the field to really do that. Like that he's gonna like lie to people that it's magic or something. No, no. Like this, this is what it is. And he's also thinking logically because you know, like later on, they're probably gonna find out that this isn't magic. So it's like he's just gonna be upfront with them, saying like, "No, this is science. This is much cooler than magic." But he's st- <laughs> when it when it comes to uh, war, <laughs> Sukasa. <laughs> He, he's surprisingly shrewd. Yeah, very cunning. Yeah, he, very cunning. Because he, you know, planning Taiju and Yuzuria ahead of time. Like, he, like immediately making that move, that tells you a lot about him. That, like, he knows where this is going with Tsukasa. So, like, better to, ha- better to, you know, hedge your bets. You know, take any advantage that you might have. Make some side bets, you know. <laughs> and we see that Gen did this in exchange for one thing. Senko has to make him one bottle of cola. Since he's, it's been 3,700 years since he's had a, a nice, clean, crisp bottle of Coke. I mean, after that many years, like, God, yeah, I would be, I would be, like, just... Just jonesing for a pop. <laughs> jonesing for any kind of soda. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll even take RC Cola. <laughs> Is there Pib in this world? <laughs> I'll take Pib. Uh, hey, I like Pib. <laughs> yeah, I, go from, I, I tend to go for other stuff. <laughs> So it's uh, time to give Suika some time to shine as we want to know uh, what she's hiding underneath her helmet here. And we see her without her helmet mask and, ah, she's so cute! She's just as adorable! And Kohaku just fawns over her and it's just super sweet where she's got heart eyes and she's all like, oh my gosh, Suika, you're just the cutest little thing. Ah, that's why she has to keep it on to, like, prevent Kohaku from gushing over her. (laughs) But then, uh... The real reason. She then scrunches up her face like an old lady. <laughs> so the reason Suika wears that melon rind is because she has the fuzzy sickness. Or rather, she's nearsighted, so she squints really hard when she tries to look at something and it makes her face all scrunched up. But when she puts on the melon, it helps her see a little bit thanks to the pinhole effect. Which is, you know, you put little uh, pinholes into something and then it uh, focuses the light to your retina and then you're able to see better. Right, right. Yeah, I remember that. And I personally know Suika's pain all too well because I am nearsighted too. Like, really, really badly nearsighted. Like, I take off my glasses and 
you're blurry as hell right now. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah, because it varies from person to person. Mm-hmm. And I've uh, been wearing glasses since I was in the seventh grade, so yeah. It's been been with me for a long time. So Seku reassures Suika that there's nothing wrong with her and he plans on helping her see clearly with the help of glasses, which means it's time to make some glass first. And with the power of science, Senku and company are able to create glasses and they fit them onto Suika's melon mask, which is really cute. And she's able to see clearly for the first time ever, and it's so sweet. I mean, I imagine that feeling when you first put on glasses, then when you need them, like, world in HD. Like, that was actually my exact feeling when I first wore glasses. <laughs> because, you know, back in 7th grade, like, I was set in the back of class for math class, and I couldn't see a thing. But then when I got glasses, you know, first thing I did, went to a baseball game, and I could see every single detail of, like, the Metrodome. I'm just like... It's so clear now. It's It feels so good. It's a very real feeling. So now that we have glass, it's time to use it to make lab equipment, such as beakers and test tubes. And we get a crash course in glass blowing. And this is something that the uh, animators and uh, uh, Boichi and uh, Inagaki had to learn themselves, you know, because they had to go to, like, glass making factories to see how it's done to accurately depict them. Yeah, go to, like, any, like, glass blowing studio at a college and, like, you'll see how it's done. It's really cool, actually. It is super cool to see. Heating up the glass and, like, blowing it and using tools to shape it. Like, I saw quite a bit of it in college because, you know, arts and whatnot, you know. Like, always cool to see. I loved it. And you see, like, as it's seen in the show, it, it takes a lot of, like, precision and, like, delicacy to, like, really make sure whatever you're uh, blowing comes out perfectly. I actually saw a demo by uh, two professional glass artists from Mexico as well. Ooh. Yeah, they were really cool to see. Mexico or was it Mexico or Southern California? Something like that. They're 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 both like uh, Latino artists and like very very well respected uh, brothers. Oh, nice. I think they were the Del Torre brothers. Like some, I I think I think that was their name. Like very notable glass artists and like absolutely loved their works. <laughs> like the magic those guys can do with those guys could do with glass. Oh, like oh, like incredible. <laughs> And in order to get the glass blowing right, we need a craftsman to help. And Chrome knows just the guy. Introducing Old Man Kosuke, played here by Kenny Green. And uh, just like the others in the series, he's got some major beefage. And Kosuke has the skills to build and create just about anything, and he's always looking for the next big crafting challenge. And Senku can be the one to provide him with just that and then some. And I love how Senku and Chrome convince Old Man Kosuke to help them as they just try out glass blowing in front of them, and he's just squirming and itching going like no doing it wrong no ah uh, just let me do it and he manages to uh create beakers and test tubes perfectly almost on the first try i love this kasuki guy <laughs> i love him a lot he's super because he's another example of like people with different talents that can seriously help science in particular he's a craftsman because the, the the village has structures and those must have had to have been built by somebody including the bridge and then they find out it's this, like, old man who is secretly, like, really, really proud of, like, all of his crafts. And also really, really buff, too. Yeah, he is jacked, banging like, out the roads. He, he is the body of, like, of, like, a, of like a you know, like, a tough worker, tough physical laborer. He a man who has, like, worked his entire life, like, building stuff. He looks like an old man version of uh, John Silver from AEW. Just short, big, beefy, bald man. I mean, have you seen, like, the physique of, like, some physical workers out there? Like, some of that work out there, like, beefs you up. 
pretty amazing that uh, he's able to maintain this uh, physique because, you know, like, once you get older, like, you can't grow muscle anymore, so he's able to, like, maintain it after all these years. I know, goddamn, looking at me, he's like Vince McMahon. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, with beakers and test tubes acquired, the kingdom of science is really starting to take shape here. And time for the next ingredient in our big sulfa drug plan. We need sulfuric acid. And Ginro finally gets his wish of getting a silver tip spear because he keeps uh, banging on about it throughout this entire time, you know, begging Senku to make him one. And Senku's all like, okay, I'll make you one, but only the silver tip spear. Sorry, Ginro, you don't get a new gold spear. <laughs> and Ginro just rubs his nose and he's going like, ah, I have a silver spear, but uh, where's your golden spear? I don't see it anywhere. <laughs> Kinro is such a piece of shit. He is. <laughs> I've known his type before. <laughs> uh, like uh, another great, another great role for Justin Briner too. He is just. He is loving every minute of being such a douche here. Well, it's a good opportunity. He's playing a total piece of shit like Ginro. Like that's those are fun roles to play. It's fun to be an asshole. <laughs> I know. Just to be like a just like just to be like a bragging twerp. <laughs> and also plays off well with uh, Greeley, where they're all just all like, ah, hate this idiot brother of mine. <laughs> but the only reason Senku is making a silver spear in the first place is so that they can use the spear to detect poisonous gases from the sulfuric acid. As once that spear turns black from the chemical reaction, they gotta run. Because those gases will kill you in a second. And so the group arrive at a lake full of sulfuric acid, and Ginro almost falls victim to a sulfuric siren, which the group dubs Sulfurina, played here by Amberly Connors. <laughs> Okay, the, the series having fun, you know, conceptualizing this as, like, an enemy. <laughs> yeah, as we see, like, kind of this uh, pretty, almost, like, ghostly lady, but as soon as she gets in your face, she turns into, like, a horror movie monster. <laughs> well, I guess it's like they don't have, like, a physical enemy to fight, but, like, you know what? Like, this this conceptualized, like, enemy in sulfuric acid, like, it works. Yeah. And in order to get the acid, they need to get past those poisonous gases, which means they need to make gas masks. And also, Chrome has to stay behind in case the masks don't work. Then, so he can pick up where Senku left off. But uh, he isn't going to allow that, you know. He doesn't want a Senku to go alone. They are working together. They are equals and partners in science. Just flexing that, like, bromance there. Ah, oh, just, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> and I love how something as simple as just two guys going to collect sulfuric acid, and it can just get pretty hype, you know? I mean, yeah, it, it, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's nice that they can actually get this much, like, tension out of just... You know, getting something that is not sentient at all—it's just an item they need to get. But uh, you know, it's 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 all given like great importance. You know, a lot of lot of danger. I've heard I've heard a series like Golden Kamui does something like that as well, where like uh, some situations they get into are pretty low stakes when like you think of when like you pull back, but within the realms of the story is like a big obstacle obstacle to get behind. I think one example I heard is like just getting around a badger in that show or in that series is. Treated with as much importance as it is here in Dr. Stone. So yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting way to work with that. Really keep the tension going in your show. And also here, Ginro even gets a really cool guy moment where he comes in at the last second to save Chrome from almost falling into a pool of acid, you know. He was a huge coward, but he ends up saving the day. This is for the birds. I could be doing so many other things besides sitting here dealing with this. Senku and Chrome have gotta be insane. Hmm? I mean, do they not think that it's scary? One wrong move and you're dead! You know, I hate it when people pull that stuff! Trying to pretend they're brave when they're just crazy! So you'd prefer to stay home and run your mouth rather than run towards danger? 
And I suppose you feel like a loser compared to them because you're so weak. No, I don't. Don't worry, Ginro. You want my opinion? I don't think you're the slightest bit weak. Fear is the secret to a long life, and that should be pretty convincing coming from an old fogey like me. I used to be a real wimp, and I guarantee you those boys are scared too. There's not a soul out there that's immune to fear. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought about it before. I can only imagine how terrifying it must be for Kinro, with his fuzzy eyes, to go up against magma. But for the sake of something precious to us, we try to overcome our fear, using our brains and a lot of heart. That's what they're doing. Well, at least that's my take on it. The only thing I want is to save my sister's life. Oh dear, it would seem that I let myself get a little carried away and made another one of these. Guess I should just leave it here. Don't really have a use for it. Thing we came out here as a team. This is bad. Like, actually bad. Senku's trying like crazy to catch up to me. Don't bother, man. There's no chance in hell. Damn it. It was such a tiny misstep. I hope they can at least still save Ruri. <laughs> Ginro! You're too heavy! You gotta control your breathing, Ginro! Your gas mask can't keep up with you! He can't! Is the poison gas going to kill me? Am I going to die right now? Activated charcoal and potassium carbonate will keep you safe, I swear. But only if you control your breath. I know that you can overcome your fear. That's how you got out this far in the first place, isn't it? Yokinro, listen to this and think with this. No matter how powerful nature may be, it doesn't have a heart to listen to or a brain to reason with. But humans are different. That's all we've got going for us. Right! I'm Ginro the Bodyguard! I'll overcome my fear with my head and my heart! tag team with me and Senku the scientists and me the bodyguard together we overcame the greatest hurdle so far sulfuric acid acquired yeah! but yeah this is the power of Ginro the bodyguard baby <laughs> 
And now that sulfuric acid has been acquired, we're another step closer to helping Ruri. And now for the next part, as the grand bout is upon us. Gonna take a quick break, and we'll be right back with the rest of Dr. Stone, Season 1. inside me for five years and <laughs> hold up what's that weird light well look who's finally awake it's october 5th in the year 5738 it has been 3,700 years. I swear I'm going to take back the world. Through science, I'll figure out what happened to us. I swear, I'm gonna save you, Zuriha. We may be a couple of high school kids, but we're gonna rebuild civilization from the ground up. Together, we'll bring life back to this stone world. Dr. Stone premieres next Saturday at midnight. Only Toonami on Adult Swim. No, no, no. 
we're back with the second half of Dr. Stone Season 1, and we have a new opening and ending. Opening is Sagen Shoku by uh, Pelican Fan Club, and the ending is Yume no Yuna by uh, Seiki Youthke. Uh, what do you think of these songs? Hmm. Opening good. Like the first one more. Mm-hmm. Second ending I like a lot more. I really like the second ending too. It's very sweet and it's like illustrated like a children's book. It is. It's it's so cute with like little uh, children's book Senku in it. Yeah, very cute. I like it. Yeah, and the song is very, very nice to listen to and like one that you'd love to hear at the end of a big episode. Appropriate for some of the uh, emotional stuff we're going to be yeah. seeing soon as well. Yeah, and opening's good too. I, I do like some of the animation and some of the, you know, seeing some of the characters in there, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, can, it can't compare to Good Morning World. <laughs> yeah, that one that one had a good opening hook. And so the grand bout is upon us, though before we get to the fighting, Senku gives us the rundown on all the ingredients that go into making sulfur drugs. And each ingredient by themselves is uh, pretty deadly and poisonous. And I like how he does this, like how he uh, takes each individual ingredient in like a test tube and just shoves it into like Suika's face going all like uh yeah this is the kind of stuff that the Yakuza used to melt down bodies <laughs> <laughs> and she's just getting more and more upset at everything and just Senku's just like eh, eh and she's on the ground going no give it away from me oh god I've, I've known people like that before they just know like the dangerous <laughs> shit they're like working with and just love to scare you with it it's like stop scaring the melon baby Senku oof and Gohaku just gets super pissed every time she sees us. She's all like, so, we're going to use this thing that melts down corpses to feed it to my sister. Is that what you're going to do? He's like, no, we're going to combine it together. It's going to be fine when it's all together. <laughs> Though, there's still one ingredient left, and that's booze. And booze is what you'll get in addition to Ruri's hand in marriage for winning the grand bout. And that's pretty lucky. So in order to improve their chances, the Kingdom of Science has added Senku and Chrome into the tournament. Their plan being to uh, tire out other participants like Magma, and if two members of the Kingdom of Science face off, then one will pull a finger poke of doom and take a dive. And all leading up to the finals where they can uh, easily beat a weakened Magma. Yeah, rig the competition! I like seeing that our main heroes have no reservations when it comes to cheating. (laughs) (laughs) And then we see even, even more examples of that where Chrome is training... And it's just him practicing crotch shots with his uh, spear. <laughs> you know, the Bobby Hill method. Yeah. <laughs> That's my purse. I don't know you. <laughs> and he's all like, yeah, I'm practicing uh, hitting the weakest part of magma. And what's that? His junk. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> and you just see him in the background at the start going like, ah, just jabbing at it repeatedly. <laughs> Crumb's mastering, mastering the nut shot. Yeah. <laughs> The an- the most ancient of martial arts. <laughs> the one-hit KO. <laughs> and then, Senku finally sets foot in the village for the first time. And we hear that it's actually been over half a year since uh, Senku first got close to-, to the village. Yeah, like, holy crap. Like, that's what I said before when, like, time goes by in the series. Like, you really don't realize it. it yeah. Like, you really don't realize just how much time goes by here. And this is something that sticks around... Throughout the entire series, like, you kind of take time for granted, and then you realize, oh, it's been years. But yeah, but there's still those moments where, like, you look back in the progress. Like, here we just find out, wow, this is the first time Senku has actually stepped foot in the village. Like, that's, you look back and you're like, wow, we've come far. And then you combine that with, uh, earlier at the beginning of the series where, like, you know, we had Senku and Taiju trying to finalize the revival fluid, and they say that took, like... A bunch of months too so it's like we're kind of leading getting close to like over a year since uh, senku first revived 
when you really think about it. It's almost like the whole series is a time skip in itself. (laughs) (laughs) It creeps up on you here. It does, you know. But of course, science takes a long time. (laughs) Yeah. We, as, as from a writer's standpoint, you got to haul ass. You know, Kingdom of Science wasn't built in a day. Yeah. <laughs> and Ruri hears about Senku coming to the village and recognizes his name. She hasn't actually met him, but she's known of him all her life, it would seem. Hmm, yeah. eerie. Yeah, she even tries to ask him what his uh, family name is. And before he can answer, she suffers another one of her coughing fits. And it just starts to, starts to get a little bit interesting here, you know, plot thickens. Yeah. And then, you know, Magma seeing Ruri kind of having a fit, see, he sees this and he loudly exclaims for all to hear that, uh, oh, she'll probably be dead soon enough. He won't have to worry about killing her after he wins. <laughs> oh, whoops, the little quiet part loud and the loud part quiet. <laughs> oh, whatever, I'm going to be chief anyway. You guys ought to do what I say. Such a piece of shit. <laughs> So, time to figure out the match order. The group's plan is to hopefully have Magma and Kinro in separate blocks, since Kinro's the best fighter out of all of them, so he want, they want to have him go to the finals. And then everyone else can tire out Magma so that he'll be easily beaten by Kinro. So, the plan will work, so long as uh, they don't fight in the first round. Oh shit, they're fighting in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> well, that plan went out the window. I love the reaction, that image of all of them just, like, going like, oh... It's like a great fuck my life moment. <laughs> Just a, an amazing drawing of everyone there. <laughs> uh, an image worth saving for future reactions. Absolutely. Okay, plan B. Everyone, we gotta get on the juice. You know, we gotta start doping. But uh, unfortunately, when Sanku brings out all the raw drug material here, Ginro just eats all of them. Shoves them all in his mouth. And then Ginro just starts... Beating him in the head, going like, idiot, fucking ate all all of our ingredients. That was all the doping we had. (laughs) How else are we going to get roided up now? (laughs) And we see that uh, Ginro keeps all these raw materials stuffed in his cheeks the entire time here. (laughs) He's a fucking squirrel. And then Magma looks to start cheating too. It's a big cheating palooza here as he has Mantle lie and say Suika fell in the river, causing Kohaku to run off and save her. And he's hoping this causes her to miss her match and get disqualified. There's even a great moment where, like, uh, like Mantle is even, like, picking up some rocks, potentially, to, like, throw at the competitors. <laughs> but then it quickly gets sussed out, like, no, no, there's no cheating in this. Like, no outside help in this competition. Like, put down those rocks. Like, we can't throw stuff to the fighters to help them. And it's, and it's a quick joke. <laughs> but Sanku <laughs> just goes... Ah, well, I guess we won't be needing these. Lifts up his, his, his coat, and just, like, a bunch of cheating <laughs> materials <laughs> drop out. <laughs> like, he just had so many ideas to cheat, and now they're all out the window. That was the backup plan in case things go don't go wrong. Just throw stuff at Magma. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's that's one of my favorite Senku jokes in the series. It's amazing. It's so quick, but it just hits you. <laughs> <laughs> and so the grand bout is officially underway. Kinro versus Magma, round one, fight. And Kinro puts up a good fight, but Magma figures out to, a way to gain the advantage. He stays far away from Kinro and uses his fuzzy sickness against him because it turns out uh, Kinro is nearsighted as well. Mm. So that means he can't uh, judge. Uh, he doesn't have good depth perception, so he can't uh, judge his, the length of his attacks. Yeah, not good for a spear fighter. 
and this leaves him open for like an absolute pummeling you know like they're using kind of like uh struggle bats from kingdom Hearts 2 here but uh, these things look like they hurt yeah they, they, they do a bit hope looks to be lost until suika shows up as it turns out mantle was lying and she's okay suika realizing what kinro is going through revs up a big head of steam and then launches her melon helmet towards kinro he grabs it puts it on his head and clears up his fuzzy sickness and now he's ready to fight and he looks super silly with the melon helmet on <laughs> I don't know. I thought he kind of made it work. He got it. The explosion when he got it kind of helped it a bit. <laughs> I can see. I can fight. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what happens. <laughs> you can actually fight Magma now. <laughs> Kinro batters Magma and the fight looks to be won. Or does it? As Magma decides to play possum here, you know, he says like, okay, I've had enough. But uh, just answer me one thing. That helmet you're wearing. Is it legal? You know, your Mr. Rules are the rules. Go, turn around, turn your back to me, ask Jasper to say, like, hey, is this okay? And if it's okay, then I'll surrender right here. And Kinro takes the bait, and then Magma batters him and delivers the finishing blow. Ah, oh, sucker punches, sucker blows him to the back of the head. Magma wins via fuck finish. Classic wrestling booking here, you know, where the baby face is at a disadvantage, but then quickly regains control, runs wild, but then the heel cheats and steals the win. Well, now that's legal. <laughs> but, like, the mask is, like, everyone has to question that. There are no rules. Okay, maybe one rule. <laughs> uh, poor Kinro being a stickler for the rules cost him in the end. And he was also way too trusting of Magma, too. Mm. And to make matters worse, Kohaku gets DQ'd because she doesn't make it back in time for her match. Just barely misses it because the match after that is Chrome versus Mantle, and they kind of have, like, a slap fight with the Spears. But then Magma notices that Kohaku's coming back and he's all, he's all like, hey, take a dive. And uh, Mantle quickly gives up. And then that causes Kohaku to miss her match and get disqualified. Ugh, dang. But at least she's happy to see that Suika safe and sound. You know, that's what matters the most here. Yeah, it's, that's, that's, that's what matters. It's one of my favorite things in the show, how much Kohaku loves Suika. Like, she takes care of her so much and then just has that bit natural big sister instinct, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's that's really nice to see between the two. Alright, Kinro and Kohaku are out, and Senku and Chrome aren't really fighters, so... Save us, Kinro, you're our only help. <laughs> so how boned are we? <laughs> I'd say 10 billion percent. <laughs> and this leads to probably one of my favorite funny bits in the entire season right here. Because then we get to Kinro's fight. So he's been... Hoarding all the raw doping material in his cheeks the entire time. Probably. It's just it's just a protein smoothie in it. It's just a protein smoothie in his cheeks now. And he's all like, "All right, I've been storing this in my cheeks the entire time." And he swallows it and pumps up, kind of, in his own head. And he like, and it's just like, "Look at this idiot! He thinks he's Popeye." <laughs> Even, yeah, exactly. Like, it, it is kind of like a Popeye moment where, like, he thinks, he, he thinks he's got, like, such great strength, but all he did was just uh, ing ingest a bunch of, like, lemongrass and, uh, like, caffeine. <laughs> so he's, re he's really more, he really just has a bunch of energy now. He just has a sugar high. Yeah. <laughs> but in his own mind, he is all jacked up and handsome and everything. He's ready to take on the world. <laughs> <laughs> No, you should totally put that sound effect in. <laughs> yeah, I'll put it in and I'll, I'll splice you the scene too. Bodyguard Ginro, you're the only hope we've got. 
bodyguard Ginro. Do you actually think he's got a shot against Magma? To put it nicely, it's gonna be tough. <laughs> you said it best yourself, Senku. We're gonna game the hell out of this grand bout to work in our favor. Which means the strongest isn't necessarily gonna win. So we gotta use everything that we have! I'm sure you noticed I've been chewing on something, but did anybody wonder what it is? I think I know what it is. It's the raw ingredients for Senku's power-up drink. And you've really just kept that in your cheeks like a squirrel this whole time? I was saving it for when my match was gonna start! Ginro, Argo, come forth! <laughs> Senku is able to do some crazy stuff with his science skills. I learned that lesson when we went to get that dangerous acid. He was making that special power-up drink for us earlier. I bet the raw stuff is even more effective! You idiot! You're just gonna end up getting the runs, man! Hush. At this point, he's better off not knowing. Let's go! Let's go! Let's go now! believe something he'll ignore all the facts but then again I already knew that <laughs> it just might work for us we're gaming the grand bout any way we can maybe that shot of overconfidence is all this little chicken needs match four begin <laughs> this kid is nuts <laughs> Going in for the kill! Hero's on fire! He really believes he's gotten stronger just because he ate all those herbs? It's his first taste of caffeine, so the guy's wired out of his mind. <laughs> his delusion makes him fearless, but it seems to be working out all right. You're going down! <laughs> <laughs> I barely even felt that. I have something that you just don't. And that's the mind to trust in the power of science. Holy crap, Kinro! This is bad! <laughs> and that's the mind to trust in the power of science. Holy crap, Kinro! This is bad. <laughs> what in the hell? Why won't you just fall? <laughs> 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 Probably has a bad case of the squirts. Yeah, he really did eat a lot of that stuff. This whole bit is amazing, where in his own mind, Ginro thinks he's the coolest, and his opponent just starts beating the shit out of him, but, like, he's so jacked up on caffeine that it doesn't phase him. And it turns out he's actually able to take so many blows that he can, like, tire his opponent out. Yeah, the Homer Simpson boxing method. Yeah. <laughs> so then in, like, the so then in like the final moment of the round, in the final moment, he just pushes his opponent off, off the cliff and into the water, and he wins, battered and bruised. And he tries to have, like, a cool guy moment where he's all like, I have something you don't, and that's the might and trust in science. And then everyone off the side's like, 
is all like, holy crap, Gino, this is bad. And the girls scream for him. Ah! But in reality, it's like, holy crap, Gino, this is bad. And screams of terror. (laughs) 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 And so Gino wins through sheer stupidity. I'm strong to the finish, cause I eats me spinach. I'm Ginro the bodyguard. Toot toot! <laughs> and for his win, he's rewarded with a bad case of the squirts. <laughs> As he just shits out of his insides. Oh yeah, that, that would happen to you if you if you ate a, ingested a whole bunch of caffeine at once. <laughs> <laughs> As we see him with like his pants down and just... All shriveled up because he just crapped out his insides. Because that's the one thing they don't tell you about coffee when you're like a regular coffee drinker. What it does to your bowels. Yeah, it kind of messes it up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, this won't be the stupidest thing Ginro does in this tournament. More on that in a bit. But up next, it's Magma versus Chrome. Round two, fight. And Chrome gets his ass kicked for most of the fight. That's it, Chrome. Keep it up. You'll tire him out eventually. <laughs> but then Chrome gets an idea. First... Pocket sand! As he throws sand in Magma's face. <laughs> and then next, he goes for the broken remains of Suika's melon mask. He plans on using the glasses lens to uh, light Magma on fire, you know, kind of do the magnifying glass trick. But the problem is, the glasses lenses are concave, which spreads light. They need to be convex, which uh, uh, centralizes light. Yeah, I didn't Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's actually kind of clever. And Chrome knows this, so he planned ahead as he uh, huddles over Suika's mask. He lets his uh, sweat and tears drip down into the lens to turn the lens into convex. Ah, oh, that's clever! Uh, it's it's amazing. Like, it's kind of some My Hero ingenuity right there. Right, right. Like, yeah, superpowers don't exist in this world, but, like, science is, is used in such a creative way that it, like, it is, like, like I said before, it is the superpower of the series. If you know science, you can win just about any fight in the series. And kind of adding to the whole Kingdom of Science cheating thing, like, Chrome's plan here is to light magma on fire. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, there's nothing in the rules about spontaneous combustion. <laughs> but he's also going to need some time to start the fire, as have no fear, a mentalist is here, as Gen returns and pretends to put a spell on magma, saying that if he moves, then his heart will explode. But it doesn't count as cheating, because, you know, magma can move and prove that Gen is lying, and therefore counts as taunting, so... Yeah, because technically no one knows if he's actually telling the truth. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, like, bluff to the rescue. And this gives Chrome enough time to light Magma on fire, and then he says, That's my purse! I don't know you! And hits him in the testicles. <laughs> my boy Chrome wins! And that leaves him, Senku, and Ginro, so it doesn't matter who wins the tournament now. And we see that Ruri is just so delighted to see Chrome win. And then Ginro, you know, sneakily goes over to her and says, all like, Hey, uh, me and Senku are gonna throw our fight, so that way Chrome can win. Because, you know, that's what you really want, right? But then she sees uh, Jasper kind of glaring at her, going all like, no, you must remain impartial. And then Rui says, I have to remain impartial. I don't care who wins. And then Ginro's all like, oh, so I can win and you'd be okay with it? And she's all like, uh, technically, yes. And then... And then you can see the light bulb go off in his head. <laughs> <laughs> so he just goes into business for himself and starts trying to fight for real. <laughs> Well, I think, like, I think it was found here that, like, okay, Magma was, like, the major, Magma was, like, the major obstacle to get through here. And, of course, they wanted the joke to have, they wanted the joke at the beginning of, like, having to face him initially to get, uh, Kinra out of the way. 
So then it, naturally you have the second match. And it's like, you can't have him get any further, so Chrome has to take him out. So then, well, then you've got the rest of the competition where it's just uh, Ginro, Senku, and Chrome. So it's like, you gotta, you gotta have something to keep it going. So why not have Ginro just ha- <laughs> go on a power trip? <laughs> and, just, and just say and just say to himself all for Ginro <laughs> <laughs> and he's all like oh yeah once I become village chief everyone gets their own harem and we eat nothing but ramen every day <laughs> it's just all like and they're all like wait we don't have that many women and he's like eh I can wait <laughs> we can share and everyone's just like Sanku please win <laughs> save us we don't want this idiot ru- running our village <laughs> So Senku quickly dispatches him with a hit to the groin. Another crotch shot here. Ah, like nut shots, nut shots to the for the win. Yeah, a bit of a full chrome nut shot where he uses uh, Suika's uh, melon mask as like a bit of leverage and puts a spear on it and stomps on it and hits him in the balls. <laughs> I'm Senku and welcome to Jackass. <laughs> Bam! Oh, this is called the Melon Buster. <laughs> this is called the Melon Buster. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, second time on the podcast here where a character played by Justin Briner gets hit in the balls. <laughs> uh, he needs to be careful or, or else he'll become the next uh, man getting hit by football. Oh yeah, that's right. Like second time he is a character of his got hit in the nuts. Yeah, and both times he's got to react with a big... Ah! <laughs> Wouldn't it be funny if that was the reason he got the role? Yeah. It's like, like how well can you, how well can you uh, imitate a nut shot? You know, Cliff just calls him up and saying like, Hey, Justin, I remember you got hit in the nuts in My Hero Season 2. Want to be in Dr. Stone Season 1? You'll be hitting the nuts here. I mean, his voice is like, uh, like higher pitched, so he can pull it off. He can. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, shouldn't be the only thing he gets known for. <laughs> imagine that on his, like, resume, you know, good at getting hit in the balls. <laughs> Hey, you know that one sound that people make when they get hit in the nuts? I'm a master at that. <laughs> so, time for the finals between Senku and Chrome. Oh, wait. Chrome's passed out from his injuries. Senku wins by default! <laughs> Congrats, Ruri, or should I say, Mrs. Senku. Like, uh-oh. Didn't see that coming. <laughs> and the current chief, uh, a.k.a. Kohaku and uh, Ruri's dad, Kokyo, played here by Jason Douglas, is all like, <laughs> You're fucking not! <laughs> nope, too late. Win's a win. Bring on the booze. Oh. Uh, time looks to not be on their side as Ruri's cough gets even worse, and she's even coughing off blood here. And a uh, fun fact, or not really fun, this isn't fun, uh, according to Kristen McGuire, while recording Ruri's cough here, she actually coughed so hard that she started coughing off blood for real. Oh, God. Yeah. Like, oh, no. No, 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 no. Just, just like, ah. Too real. <laughs> Thank you for what you do, but like, oh man, that must have been rough. Never take it that far. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, time to finish up the sulfur drug. But first, Ruri, I want a divorce. It's not you, it's me. My heart belongs to science, yada yada, all that jazz. Time to make drugs. (laughs) Well, yeah, because all all Senku needed was just the, uh, he needed more alcohol to make the drug. Yeah. And of course, like, uh, you get a ton of alcohol for like the big celebration after you like win and become chief. But that's all Senku really needed, and, like, he didn't want to, like, have it all be drunk by people, so he just goes, Hey, Ruri, we're divorced now. Bye. <laughs> and then, like, he and Koaku just take all the alcohol back to make the drug. And everyone's just standing there going, like, I think we got punked. Because, <laughs> yeah, no one said that, like, you couldn't just divorce her afterwards, so it's like, fuck it, who cares? 
And Senku's not the kind of a, like, not the marrying kind of guy. No. <laughs> Though, uh, technically this would be an annulment, because it's only a divorce if the couple has, uh, consummated the marriage. Ah, okay. Wouldn't it be really awkward if the village didn't believe in annulments and it has to be a divorce? Like, oh, God. <laughs> you know, don't want to think about Kokio's that. Kokio's all like, nope. Get with my daughter Senku, then you can leave her. <laughs> we can wait. <laughs> But in the end, Ruri doesn't mind, and she's definitely sure this will make Chrome happy. So there's a little something there. <laughs> and so, after a long night of work, the sulfur drug is finished. And not only that, Gen finally gets his cola. As uh, Senku was able to whip him up a bottle on the side. And uh, the way Gen, you know, he grabs his cola, takes a big swig out of it. It looked so satisfying. He even lets out a big, Yahoo! When he does that. <laughs> Hell, that alone got me, like, thirsty for a cola. <laughs> oh, I could go for a Coke right now. I ever found the recipe interesting, too. Just, like, the carbon carbonated water and with, like, uh, the cilantro and lime. Like, yeah, that was kind of clever. Yeah, that's pretty much how most cola is made. It's so simple, but it's it's really interesting. Yeah, I think, so. I think some, yeah, I think some recipes do use lime and cilantro. So, yeah, that's, that's kind of a clever way to make it. And uh, what's also very satisfying to see is the group finally make it to the finish line and complete the drug after all this time they reach their goal. And uh, as the series goes on, this kind of thing just gets more and more satisfying. Time for Ruri to take her medicine, and she does so very suggestively. Did you notice this? Yeah, the, 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 way, the way it's like drawn and just uh, looks weird. <laughs> yeah, it, it's Did I forget to mention this artist made porn? <laughs> <laughs> it's the same in the manga too, and combined with that and some, of, some other images that pop up in the manga later on, especially one that showed up more recently... It, it seems that Boishi can be a tad horny. <laughs> so it turns out that Rudy has been suffering from pneumonia this whole time, and if she continues to take more sulfur drugs, then she'll get better in no time. And she's actually really lucky to be alive at this point, and it's all thanks to Kohaku bringing her that spring water, because staying warm and keeping clean is what helped kept the bacteria from spreading. Yeah, Senko even remarks, like, thank God it wasn't tuberculosis, because if it was, we'd be screwed. Yeah, and so Ruri has a clean bill of health, and she celebrates by running around Roadrunner style. <laughs> yeah, that energeticness uh, runs in the family. And for saving Ruri, Senku is officially declared the new chief of the village. Ishigami village, to be exact. And Ishigami is also Senku's last name. This is how Ruri knew about Senku from before. So naturally, that raises the question, how could this village be named after Senku? So it's uh, time for a little bit of the background on Ishigami Village, as it was founded 3,700 years ago by Byakuya Ishigami, played here by Kent Williams, a.k.a. Senku's father. As in this story, a tale from one of the 100 tales even named Senku. Yes, the village has a number of tales, and Senku is from them. As we see, Byakuya, with the help of Senku, achieved his dream of becoming an astronaut and gets invited on a deep space mission to the International Space Station. And, man, this is a big, this is one of those big, important flashbacks in the, that you find in some shonen as well. This is big. As we see the, uh, the build-up to, you know, uh, Byakuya becoming an astronaut, how Senku helped him, you know, pass the test and get invited on this mission... And then we see this mission, we actually meet all the other astronauts joined with them, such as uh, Yakov Nikitin, played here by the Eggman, Mike Pollock. We have Darya Nikitina, played here by Rachel Robinson. Connie Lee, played here by Erica Mendez. Shamil Volkov, played here by Patrick Seitz. 
And special guest, American pop star diva Lillian Weinberg, played here by Caitlin Glass. And what a crew we have here, you know. We have uh, Russian cosmonauts here, and we also have uh, a pop star. <laughs> yeah, quite the good, bu- quite the interesting bunch we have here. But, uh, yeah, God, big! Like, yeah, this this whole flashback is just fascinating. Because it's, it's blowing by so much history, but it's like... Like, it de- it defines so much of, like, what comes later on. <laughs> like, like it, inf- it informs so much of, like, Senku's relationship with, like, his own father. What kind of person is his father actually was. And how his influence in the past influenced everything up into this point. And we see that Senku and Byakuya have, like, a really, really good father-son relationship. Like, they're both super supportive of each other in their goals and dreams. Like, we see how Byakuya, like, had to, like, sell off his car and stuff like that to pay for all the, uh you know, the gifts, all the science chemistry sets for Senku to help support his, like, dream of following science. And now we see Senku just, like, help and support Byakuya past that test to become an astronaut. And we see that's part of the reason why Senku wants to go up into space, why he said he wanted to be an astronaut when he was a little kid. All because of his dad. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it's so sweet. But man, that's, that's not the last of this, though. That's not the last of this flashback. Yeah. Also, I want to bring up, we see that uh, Byakuya is very much a total goof. <laughs> bit, of, bit of a contrast to his son. <laughs> you know, I like the bit where, like, they go up into space, and then we see Lillian, and she's acting like a total diva, going on like, eh, I don't want to be around here all in this big space station. But then she starts to break and laughs, and it turns out she and Byakuya were just playing a joke on everyone, thinking she was going to be a nightmare. <laughs> So yeah, he's a bit of a jokester. <laughs> he is. And he tries to pal around with like a lot of the other crew members, especially Shamil. He's trying to get him to like try ramen for the first time and get him to have a little bit of fun. You don't become an astronaut if you're not one to like your co-workers. I mean, you're, you're going to be up there for a long time. You yeah. got to get along. Yeah. <laughs> you got to lighten the mood a bit. Yeah. <laughs> so the mission looks to be going well, but things take a turn as the crew witnesses the moment from space, from the International Space Station, the moment the Earth got stoned. And it's actually pretty wild to see, just seeing a bit of light just completely engulf the Earth from space. Yeah, pretty dramatic. And so, Byakuya deduces that the phenomenon occurred in South America, so Shlemiel, Lillian, and Connie travel down to the surface, but wind up in the middle of the ocean, prompting Byakuya and the other members to go down and rescue them, because uh, they can't just stay there the entire time, they gotta go down to Earth and check everything out. Mm Mm-hmm. Eventually, the Six all discover that all of humanity has been turned to stone, and... They kind of just have to weigh things out and see how everything is going to turn out from this point on. Will people break out, or is this it, and we're going to have to rebuild society with just us six people? Yeah, as far as they know, they're the last survivors of Earth. And they eventually do so, try to do the best they can to uh, revitalize society, you know, forming relationships, getting married, and even having kids. But eventually the crew gradually start to die out from pneumonia. Mmm... And so this leads Byakuya to pa- to write down what is called the Hundred Tales to pass down essential knowledge from the future in the form of, like, little stories, little folk tales and fables. As uh, he knew one day Senku would break out of the stone and revive, he had that much faith in his son that he's not going to stick around and, like, let this happen to him. He's going to break out and try to revitalize the Earth. So it's my job as his father to give him a bit of hand, set him up so that he'll be able to bring back humanity. Yeah, you, you learn a lot about the uh, the legacy uh, Byakuya really left for his son right here. Also the legacy left by some of the others, because uh, the singer, Lillian, 
Uh, it's it's pretty obvious that she's the ancestor of Kohaku and Ruri. Yeah, they have, like, the same eyes, the blonde hair and everything. Right, every, like, you know, like, because, like, Sanku remarked before, like, why, 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 like, why are, like, some of the people in here very, uh, western-looking? Yeah, why, why do people look all... <laughs> why the blonde hair? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, not a common trait in Japan. And then that's when they reveal, ah, des- descended from uh, an American singer lady. Ah, makes sense. Although... One question they kind of don't answer, though, is that, um, like, to maintain a population for a good long time, you need genetic diversity. (laughs) I don't know if this is something they answer later on. They might. They might. But you need way more people than what they had, like, in this this village environment to really continue a lineage. (laughs) Or else everything starts looking like a Spanish royal family. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying, unless they explain that away, like, they could, who knows, maybe later in the series they explain it like there were other survivors. That, like, maybe, like, there were, like, some other survivors on Earth. And they met up with the the people, like, uh, in what would become Ishigami Village. And then there became enough genetic diversity, you know, to, you know, keep a population going. Like, or otherwise, like, realistically, this, sh- this series should have had way more Habsburg Jaws, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And if, if you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up Habsburg Jaw, <laughs> and you'll know. But that's just, that's just something I wanted to point out. <laughs> you bring that up, and I actually have a quote from Inagaki actually explaining this, because he was asked about this. Oh, okay. It's pretty amazing. So, here's what he says, quote, Nobody knows whether this is possible or not. The reason is because nobody has ever tried it. But there are situations where islands were populated with small numbers of people. But nobody knows if it started with four people or ten people. So if nobody really knows for sure, then the god of the world can decide it. And I'm the god of the world in Dr. Stone. (laughs) In short, my series, my rules. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Okay, I can believe that. Just for, just once, he bent the rules. In a series all about science, just once, he decided to bend the rules. <laughs> like, okay, fine, fine. Do you think, like, he went to his science consult- consultant in, in uh, Boichi, going all like, okay, I'm going to do this, but they're all like, no, you you need more diversity. I, I, I that, that may have been, that may have been, like, something he got caught in or something. I, I think he, I think he just got caught in it. Yeah. And then he was just like, you know what, foregone conclu- conclusion Let's just go from this point on and never speak of this again. Like, I want to make the ancestors of the village the six people. I I don't have enough time to add more people in it. Right, right. I think that was just something something that... Maybe that could have been something that slipped past him. And then, like, when people brought that up, like... You know, this only, like, very rarely happens. And even that, even then, it's not, like... There's not a very good scientific explanation for it. <laughs> like, And then he was like, well, we'll just do better in the future. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just we'll just try to look out for those things in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like I think it's forgivable here. You, you get a pass. You know like you know what? It's it's like getting one question wrong on a on a, on a test. <laughs> like you're still going to get you're still getting an A overall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and also uh no Futurama situation here where uh Senku's like fry and he's like everyone's uncle. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, because, like, yeah, oh, yeah, that's a good point, because Senku had to clarify, yeah, me and Byakuya, yeah, we weren't really bl- related by blood, so don't worry, 
I'm not related to anyone around here. <laughs> and also he even explains that, you know, after thousands of years of, like, breeding and, you know, genetic diversity, like, it's going to be so different that uh, my DNA now can't match your DNA today. No, that is true. It, it wouldn't actually matter after that long. Mm-hmm. You know, you have Kohaku opted psycho and, like, there's still a chance. <laughs> Although, firstly, I would. Although, firstly, they were probably thinking just like, yeah. Even, even despite that, though, maybe just yeah. Keep things, think, keep things congenial around here. Yeah, that's 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 one of the hundred tales that we probably don't bring out too much. Right, right. <laughs> though, if you want to know what the crew did when they returned to Earth and how they started Ishigami Village, there's actually a, a prequel manga written and drawn by Boichi. Called, oh. Yeah, it's all about this. It's a nine-chapter prequel called uh, Dr. Stone Reboot Byakia. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, so it kind of just follows, like, everything leading up to, like, eventually everyone dying out. Mm. Okay. But uh, this entire backstory here is actually pretty heavy and tragic. It's, it's a lot. It's very heavy. And, like, we only know these characters for, like, two episodes tops, but, like, you kind of feel for them and you and you really feel bad for, like, the situation they've been put in. Yeah, it was, it was, it's, it was a lot to blow by, but... You do feel for them all by the end. Like, even though you f- you feel how far things have really come, how far things got set up here. Like even the one bit where we see that uh, Shamil and Connie end up getting married, and then Lillian tries to tries to like you know celebrate this by singing a song, but she can't bring herself to do this because it's just really hitting her that uh, everything they've known and loved is all gone. Mm. And then eventually they all start to die. Yeah, we see that everyone's you know their partners start to die before them. They're just left with their kids and they just have to like worry about ensuring the future for these kids and hopefully the future for Senku whenever he revives like oof yeah it's a lot and after hearing the story we get like another really heavy scene where Senku visits Byakuya's grave and it's really sad actually it's heartbreaking like Senku someone who keeps his emotions in check you know he's not one to get emotional over everything you know, Ruri takes him to his dad's grave. He sends her away, and he just starts ha- he just starts tearing up and crying. <sighs> that his dad is gone, is gone, and but he left everything for him. He's like, you know what? I'm gonna set the whole world up for you, and you're gonna have all these treasures and everything. But most of all, you're gonna have friends. Oh God, that's incredible, man. That's some good storytelling right there. That's some good shit right there. <laughs> <laughs> Now, we set aside the backstory because it's time to go to war as Tsukasa's empire is coming. He's got an army, we got science. Yes! Gen finally informs them of Tsukasa's uh, empire of might. (laughs) They're coming, and they're bringing weapons. Oh no. And right on cue, Tsukasa's empire of big, scary, beefy guys attack. Like, get a load of these, like monsters among men right here. I know, yeah, like, Tsukasa was working, man. And we see that the people he's reviving right now are all warriors. Like, people who can be warriors for his empire. Mm-hmm. And uh, as I mentioned before, we see how some of the cracks can get a little silly, like how we have one person that has a crack through the middle of his face, even through his teeth and his tongue. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know how that works, but it just... It, it's so fun not to draw. <laughs> And so the Empire goes after Akinro first, but he manages to hold them off. That is until he comes face-to-face with Tsukasa's second-in-command, introducing Hyoga, played here by Jerry Jewell. And Hyoga's 10 billion percent bad news, as he uses this uh, twisting spear technique to wound Kinro, and he's about to finish him off. Like, this guy, 
cold, calculating, unbelievably ruthless. Like, just, just as bad as Tsukasa. Yeah. <laughs> and in some cases, probably worse. <laughs> Senku is able to run him and the army off with a neat little trick here. As Senku loads up a pipe with some gunpowder, and then Gen gets Magma to throw a big rock at the army right as Senku fires it, so it makes it seem like he fired a bullet at the army. <laughs> thinking that, making them think that, oh, they have guns, we need to retreat because we can't fight them with these, like, knives and spears. And Gen even, like, tries to, like, take the gun from, like, Senku and is like, they've got guns, retreat, retreat. Run, run away, run away, I'll hold them off. <laughs> oh, but they'll be back, which means we gotta prepare for the next big fight. And the next fight gets a cool setting as it takes place during a storm, no less. Because they have a time limit, you know, they have to like, okay, we gotta wait until the next storm because Sukas' armies thinking, are thinking like, okay, they have guns, but they're all like, probably like muskets and flintlocks, so in the rain, they'll be completely useless because the gunpowder will be wet. Right, Because that's right. when we can strike. Right, so that's how they're able to predict when they'll strike next. And also, if you want to make your fight extra cool, just put it in a storm. <laughs> And so, as the Empire Might strikes, Ishigami Village fends them off with the blades of science known as katanas. Yes! They make katanas! And we get a cool shot of them, just all of them wielding these swords and just looking badass. Yeah, conceptually not hard to make. I mean, physically very hard to make, but <laughs> conceptually, yeah, just like, yeah. Take, take some metal, like heat it up, fold it, and you can make a katana. Also, I love how uh, Senku kind of calls out some of the BS when it comes to making katanas, because you hear stories about how you need to fold them like 50 times to make them as strong as ever. But uh, Senku says, actually, you only really need to fold them twice and they're already really strong. Right, right. And so the strongest fighters duke it out with Hyoga, but it looks like Hyoga's gonna skewer Kohaku until his spear breaks apart at the last minute. What happened? As it turns out, Gen, in the prep for the fight, actually sabotaged Hyoga's spear. We see a little flashback where, uh, Suika ran off to find Gen, and then she threw him a little knife, and then when he was checking out Hyoga's spear, he sliced the top of it so that the actual blade will break off at the right moment. Ah, Gen! And I love when Hyoga calls him out on this, he immediately figures this out, and then Gen tries to play dumb, but then immediately drops the charade. <laughs> He's all like, no, you don't really believe that, do you? I would never betray your trust. Well, damn, you had me figured out already. <laughs> <laughs> I like the inflection there, too. Almost like a like a little puppy dog. <laughs> yeah. He squeaks and whimpers a little bit. <laughs> Good job, Nah, man. but the jig is up for Gen. He's with the Kingdom of Science. And I love another part where, like, uh, during the flashback, Suika had to follow some uh, flowers that uh, Gen laid so she can get to his location. And uh, he says that uh, the flowers that he used in uh, Floography... He says, you know, the meaning of behind these flowers are liar. <laughs> <laughs> like, really wanted to salt the wound there. <laughs> he is just having fun fucking with Hyoga. Ah, I appreciate that, that attention to detail. Just making his betrayal a big grand show. Not just a show, art. <laughs> <laughs> it's beautiful. And around this time, we actually get a flashback to the day Sukasa revived Hyoga and here we get a good look at the Empire of Might, and we even get brief shots of so many characters that'll definitely be important later on. <laughs> you know, like, back when I first saw this episode, I was already pretty far along in the manga because I started off uh, midway through the show. So when I got to the scene the first time and I saw all these uh, guys and gals, I kind of marked out going all like, Oh, it's that girl! Oh, it's that girl! It's that guy! Oh, it's this asshole! 
Oh yeah, like I I I've, I've seen at least a little bit of like some of these figures and know that like yeah they'll be big later yeah. on. <laughs> so back in the present, it looks like Hyoga's been beaten, or has he? This was all actually a distraction for the real mission, that being having someone break into Ishigami Village to burn it down. Whole village is on fire now. Uh, Operation Embrace the Vision. And what's worse, the wind is, like, fanning it, too, so it's getting worse. It's spreading even more. <laughs> Honestly, a good strategy. And the person doing the burning is the Empire Might's number three, introducing Hyoga's right-hand woman, Homura Momiji, played here by Megan Shipman. She's a skilled gymnast with agility that can rival Kohaku, and very, very pink. And also, she's perpetually duck-facing. <laughs> where, where do they find the pink pigment in this I, world? I wonder that, too. <laughs> <laughs> must have fought hard to find that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, she will only join them if she gets a pink uh, battle outfit. <laughs> and after burning the village, the Empire sets their sights on the science shed with all the rocks and materials. Then Suika becomes the bravest little girl ever as she leads the Empire away from the lab area towards the hot springs area from earlier. The same area where a certain sulfuric siren lives. And with the wind whipping around everywhere. And the Empire might gets trapped up a tree by the poisonous gas that's uh, hanging very low, being blown around by the wind. And uh, we also see that Suika gets saved at the last minute by Kohaku and Senku with uh, gas masks. And then leads to a big shit heel moment from Hyoga right here, where after uh, the, the faces leave, they're all like, oh, is this uh, gas real? And Hyoga's like, why don't you try it out? And he kicks all of his goons down to the bottom, and they immediately die from the poisonous gas. All of them just bite the dust in the instant. And then he's just like, well, I guess it's not safe to go down yet. Huh. Guess he wasn't lying. <laughs> if he didn't believe Yoga was cold and ruthless before, this really gets it over. Like, he will be willing to sacrifice anyone to get, a get ahead. Mm. And after the battle, it's now time to prepare for war. And to gain the upper hand, we need to create the ultimate weapon. Something that if we have, then victory is all but certain. We need cell phones. Or more specifically, communications. Yeah, because it's the key in war, you know. And it helps even more if, say, there are spies within the enemy camp that you can uh, contact back and forth with. Such as two fr good friends of yours? Ah, uh, yeah. We gotta get in contact with Taiju and Yuzuriha to learn the Empire Might's weaknesses. Ah, they're coming back! And also, great callback, because in the beginning of the series, when Senku was asking Taiju about uh, what do they need to survive in the stone world, his initial answer was cell phones. <laughs> but it actually it actually is cell phones yeah, it now. actually turned out to be important at some point. Ah, uh, way to plant the seeds. <laughs> <laughs> and even Senku's all like, ah, you big dumb oaf, you were actually right. <laughs> So the Kingdom of Science is working to build a cell phone in the stone world, and this will take us to the end of the season, which is honestly an interesting and unique way to do things here. It's time for the cell phone arc. <laughs> <laughs> the greatest arc of them all. <laughs> and it shows that these science projects are just as fun and interesting as any typical shonen fight, you know? I know, because you got to recognize this isn't like a big battle they're ending off the season on either. This is just one more scientific, like, find, like, scientific find they need to go through again. That's that's what we're ending off on. Yeah, and this is pretty much build up to what's going to be happening later after the season. I mean, in that, in that regard, it makes for a good prelude. It does. <laughs> <laughs> and we're under a strict time limit, as we need to be ready by the end of winter. And uh, yeah, again, 
passages, passages of time in the series here. It takes so long, but it doesn't really feel like it. It takes all of winter, I believe. Yep, all of winter going so into three months. So yeah, about three months. Yeah. And uh, I love the moments that uh, they hear about the cell phones. Everyone else is all like, ah, how does this work? Sounds kind of like really dumb sorcery. And then we see Crow McCoskey get super hyped at the idea of being able to communicate with cell phones. <laughs> oh yeah, because they're the ones who like mark out the most at everything Senku does. Well, everyone else kind of everyone else kind of reacts similarly to like uh, anytime a woman sees the General Frankie in One Piece, they just kind of sandbag it or just wonder how how why anyone would get excited over this. <laughs> so, what's the first step in creating a cell phone? Build a cotton candy machine, of course. Eh, you're the scientist. So yeah, a cotton candy machine is acquired, and everyone gets their first taste of cotton candy. Oh yeah, the, the, the from the leftover alcohol, like from the leftover alcohol of the festival, there's uh, sugar crystals in there left over. So they just use the those and end up making some uh, cotton candy with like a spinning device. And we see everyone's reaction to eating cotton candy for the first time, and it's just like the greatest thing they've ever had. I mean, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I haven't had cotton candy in a while, but yeah, wouldn't wouldn't deny one. But if you've never had candy before in your then life, just this fluffy stick of sugar just this must be what clouds taste like oh and you can see them with hearts in their eyes and just kind of almost being orgasmic at the, at the feeling of eating this even magma and mantle can't resist it yeah big tough magma <laughs> loves his sugar <laughs> but yeah there's a method to senku's madness here as he's planning to use the machine to make gold thread for the cell phone but he wanted to test it out on cotton candy first to make sure that the threads aren't all clumpy and big and chunky ah and there's even a nice moment here where they actually give uh, some cotton candy to Homura as she's been sent to spy on them. <laughs> and now it's time to create some gears for the cotton candy machine. And uh, we get a great scene where Kohaku breaks her dad's heart. <laughs> where they have to use her shield since it's uh, probably one of the strongest things in the village. And he's all like, oh, but this is the shield I got when I first uh, married your mother. And I passed it down to you. But uh, if you want to use it, then so be it. Just uh, appreciate it. And then Kohaku's all like, yeah, I don't really care. We'll just use it for the, for the gear. <laughs> <laughs> Kohaku, why you gotta do that to your dad? Yeah. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, we have uh, Chrome working on a special project of his own. Check it out, Senku, I invented a water-powered gear thing. I call it a Chrome Spinny Dealy. Oh yeah, we have that in the past. It's called a water wheel. <laughs> but hey, we have a hydroelectric generator. And hey, Senku doesn't, he doesn't like shy at him either. He's just like, wow, you actually like... Brought back the water wheel. Like, you didn't even know what the hell it was before. Yeah, it's just like, like, You just invented that right on the... Sp you just reinvented that on the spot. Like, that's impressive. Yeah, just Chrome and Koski go off, do their own project, and it's something really, really useful. Yes! Like, yeah! Yes! Chrome, he's learning. <laughs> I'm a boy. He's got the heart of an He's got the heart of an inventor. And now we have consistent electricity in the uh, village, because uh, we don't have to uh, have... Kinro and Ginro operate the generator manually anymore. Yup, at, at, at a certain point now, they won't have to use physical labor anymore. And then they, they're able to harness that in man-made batteries, too, so they have all the electricity they need. Yeah! Now the uh, Kinro and Ginro can focus on uh, fighting, which means getting their asses kicked by Kohaku on a daily basis. <laughs> yeah, Sungu does clarify to everyone, hey, just because, just because you don't have to, like, rev up an electrical generator anymore doesn't mean you gotta slack off. Like, we, like, there's going to be other uses for you all. And the same thing when they uh, uh, redo the furnace so that uh, nobody has to pump that either. Everyone's all like, yeah, no more work. Actually, no, more work. <laughs> I need you in other places. <laughs> now we move on to making light bulbs. 
and perfect timing as they complete the light bulbs in time to light up a tree for Christmas. Hey, nice little Christmas scene here. <laughs> and holy crap, Santa Claus survived the petrification. Oh, thank God. Thank God Santa Claus was alive. You know, I mean, if he's immune to COVID, then he must be immune to being stoned. Ah, he resisted the petrification. We are fine. We at least know the North Pole is okay. Yeah. <laughs> the the Petra Beam didn't reach it all the way to the uh, northernmost part of the world. <laughs> <laughs> didn't have enough juice. He's going. He's going over the world. He's going over the world, just looking down, being all like, "The fuck? <laughs> Where is everyone?" Over three thousand years, and still like nothing. Uh, maybe next year, people will be back. Maybe I should retire. <laughs> Get that timeshare me and the missus always thought about. Wonder how that Easter Bunny is doing. Wonder if he's okay. <laughs> and afterwards, they move on to making vacuum tubes, but everything they tried doesn't work. They need something stronger to use as filaments. And after seeing the first sunrise of the new year, Senku figures out the material they need. Tungsten, one of the hardest rocks in the world. And time to get more tungsten, so it'll, it'll be up to Senku, Chrome, and Magma. Yeah, Magma gets to join in on one of the missions. <laughs> as tungsten is tough as hell, so they need brute force to extract some. We are spelunking buddies. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> uh, I can just imagine Magma being all like, okay, Magma... Promise you won't betray us on this mission. I know you hate us, but we gotta work together. And he's all like, "Okay, I won't. I won't do anything. I'll be. I'll go with you guys into a dark cave where no one will find you and hear you scream." <laughs> <laughs> oh, guys, it was terrible. Senku and Chrome got caught in a cave in and are dead. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. But uh, Senku told me with his dying breath, you know, take care of the village, be the chief, and everything. <laughs> I trust you, Magma. Well, yeah, this is, like, the main point of, like, here. Like, everyone kind of knows, like, where this is going. <laughs> like, like Magma's gonna try and pull some shit here. Yeah. <laughs> and as they search the caves, Senku and Magma fall down a pit. And it looked like Magma was gonna push Senku down it. But it turns out we find out that he was actually just trying to save him. Ah, so maybe he's not all bad. Well, no, he still holds a lot of resentment towards Senku. Yeah, like, uh, I think it seems like, uh... He wants to help Senku, but his pride and ego won't allow that. Yeah, yeah. Where, like, he doubles down and says, like, No, I was trying to push you down the cave. I fucking hate you. I hate your stupid science, and I want to be the chief. And they end up coming up with a really cool plan to get out of the pit. Where, like, uh, they decide to uh, fill the pit with water so that they can swim up, and once they get close up, Magma can throw Senku above, and then he can pull him out. Hmm, clever. And Magma learns the value of science and teamwork here. I mean, he's still a piece of shit. Yeah, he's like trying to throw Ruri under the bus. Yeah, he's still an asshole. Yeah, yeah but you know, baby steps. Yeah, but uh, thankfully they got out of the pit when they did. Otherwise, things would have taken a turn for the worse. Senko and Magma would have had to cuddle for warmth. <laughs> Shudder the thought. And like we see an image of them hugging, and it looks very sensual. <laughs> <laughs> and we see that Chrome and Magma are just vomiting at the side at the thought of that was like, no i don't want to hug this guy <laughs> and so they acquired the tungsten but they also found the greatest treasure of all friendship no i think the i think the metal with the highest heating point in like the world is more important yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> friendship is too sappy it's all about the all about the tungsten need that heat resistant heat resistant metal and so they head back to the village where senku comes across a little surprise and it's pretty nice and all splicey Ah, oh, you're back, Senku. Welcome home. Huh? What is all this? <laughs> now don't waste your breath by crying out for help. 
Everybody's working together with Gen. <laughs> I guess you sneaky bastards finally figured out the hack, did ya? All you gotta do is present my head to Sukasa. Tell him science is dead and the village is safe. Perfectly logical. I honestly don't have a clue as to what you're talking about. gotten rid of Senku. Everyone! I have an awesome idea, but I'm gonna need your help to make it happen. I mean, I just kind of remember that you can put two lenses in a tube and fashion a telescope. I'll admit it's half-assed, but whatever. Hey! Hmm? I have a crew here that would love to help out. Well, I'm hoping that old Sanku sees all this and decides to get me something even more awesome for my birthday. We're putting in a lot of hard work and sweaty labor. Yeah. The whole village worked really hard to put this together, but I trust you can handle all the fine-tuning yourself. <laughs> yeah. Uh-oh! What's wrong, Sanku? Are you actually moved by all of this? Even you're allowed to cry, you know. You don't have to hold it in. Why so do you always go have on. to be like uh, this, Kingro? <laughs> Excellent job, everybody. This is extremely practical. We can use it on our watchtower to keep an eye on Sukasa. Uh, yeah, that's true. Good to see you can still keep your emotions in check. <laughs> I'm not the type of guy that would ever bring up his own birthday. Not my style. How did you know it was today? My internal clock is messed up. Must be due to the petrification. I couldn't even tell you how old I am anymore. Uh, don't you know how many days you've been alive? You don't, right, Senku? 6,268. Ah, you baited me with that question. Still, it would be impossible for you to figure it out if you didn't know when I revived. Do you not remember? You wrote down the date you broke out of the stone. <laughs> right by the entrance to the Miracle Cave. It was probably the first thing you did. <gasps> so he wrote this when he was depetrified? How did he know what day it was? No way. Was he... the whole time? This guy is freaking easy, Cray! Who does that? 
Come to think of it, ever since the beginning, even before I met you. Let me put it this way. I was a big fan, no matter what side we're on. And I'm not the only one. The whole village agrees. You might think that's kind of lame to say, though. <sighs> yeah, just a little bit. Called it! So Senku gets a brand new observatory made by the entire village. For his birthday. Yep, January 4th. And Gen figured that out because he tried to get it out of Senku, you know, where he says, like, oh, I bet you don't know how many days you've been alive. And then Senku gives him an exact number. Gen does some quick math and realizes, ah, it's coming up, January 4th. And we just see all the village chip in, use the knowledge that Senku gave them to make them this really sweet birthday gift. Like, oh, they've, they've, it, it, they, they're just not letting, they're not just letting Senku do all the, like, science here. Like, they, they actually took what he, they taught, what he taught them. They're learning. And applied it to give him a gift. Like, oh. And they're, like, basically paying him back for pretty much bringing them into, like, the next century, you know, helping revitalize their village, making everything easier for them, you know? <sighs> That's wonderful. It's just like, ah. They all love each other. It's so sweet. Aww. And now, time for the final sprint to the end. Chrome puts all the science he's learned to the test as he figures out how to melt tungsten without melting the glass container in it. And we do see a really, really sweet moment here where as they're uh, doing this uh, project, we see that uh, Kosky, you know, he's over 50 years old. He spent years crafting by himself. And now he's finally found a couple of crafting buddies that he can share this joy with in Chrome and Senku. Aww. But now let's get pumped and he gets all beefed up. Because <laughs> there's another project on the way. As they're able to create tungsten filament. As a Chrome uses this, like, almost Rube Goldberg-esque machine using all the inventions they made so far to, like, uh, generate enough heat to melt the tungsten. <laughs> and then Old Man Koski puts his skills to the ultimate test as he creates a Hickman pump, or a Sprengel pump, as, as it's also called, you know. A vacuum pump that uses drops of mercury falling through the small bore capillary tube to trap air from the system to be evacuated. Like, God, there, there's something I didn't even know about. Like, yeah. Geez. Like, I love when he gets, like, the project for the first hand, the schematics, and he's all like, oh, this is going to be tough. <laughs> Just this big, intricate glass swirling tubes and everything like that. As I'm sure it would be for anyone, especially when you're working with mercury. Yeah. And, like, all using all of this to create uh, vacuum tubes for the cell phone. So one more thing needed to finish the vacuum tubes, and that's zinc-carbon batteries. And Gen will be the one to handle that, which leads to something amazing. Gen's manganese rice fall song that he sings here. <laughs> Hold on. Zinc-carbon batteries? Are we going to use batteries to finish the vacuum tubes? The instructions and materials are all listed there. We'll use the manganese from the caves. Uh... So you want me to make them, do you? Hmm. Zinc for seaweed. Manganese rice balls. Coal in the middle. Boom, we got a battery. Boom, we got a battery. Hold on. I'm already done? It wasn't Oodle Bray at all. That was so easy. Making rice balls, Making rice balls from manganese. Lots of rice balls of rice ball from manganese. Here's more rice balls from manganese. We'll need 800 at the least. 
you crazy? So funny thing is, I actually didn't recall this the first time I ever watched Dr. Stone. <laughs> like, I think I completely missed this part. <laughs> but yeah, the, the, the gag is that Gen finally gets put to work to do something. Because he always tries to, like, weasel his way out. Because, you know, he's like Senku, he doesn't do physical work. But, you know, this is an easy thing. He just has to ball up manganese. And so he thinks, oh, well, this won't be... Too bad. <laughs> In the anime, he gets a little crafting song. Yeah. <laughs> making rice ball, making rice balls from manganese, from manganese. Boom, we got a battery. Boom, we got a battery. <laughs> oh, <And> then, <laughs> that wasn't Oodlebray at all. And then Senku comes in, yeah, we're going to need a hundred more. He's like, what? Are you crazy? <laughs> oh, see, I'm, I'm, gl I'm glad I got reintroduced to that. <laughs> and we see throughout this entire little song, he's only made like three. <laughs> and he's like, yep, a hundred more. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> I love Gen a lot. And he's all like, oh, oodle bray. <laughs> all the hurdles have been cleared, and we now have a cell phone. Awesome. Now let's make another one. <laughs> well, there was at least like one like good moment when they tested it, and Chrome uh, is given the is given the go ahead to uh, speak into it for the first time to Ruri. Yep. And of course, er and of course, everyone is telling him, "Oh, the first thing said across uh, phone lines again across communication. You should say you love her. You know, tell Confess her your love. Tell her how you really feel, Chrome." And then what does he choose? He goes, "Ruri." This is some pretty bad stuff. Science is awesome. <laughs> and everyone's just all like, ah. Fun fact, first message you ever told across communications, are you ready? Ooh. Ah, yeah. fun fact. And uh, one thing I really like about all this, you know, it's like everyone in the village knows Chrome is into Ruri and they all kind of ship them. It's kind of cute. After testing the cell phone across a wire, Ruri tells Senku of one of the hundred tales, hinting towards a time capsule sealed in Byakuya's gravestone. It is a glass record. And that's also really clever how that was made, too. Because, like, unbelievably, you get see a flashback where Byakuya actually uh, took the bottom from a glass bottle, smoothed it out, and then had grooves input into it. Like, like a record. Yeah, we see, like, how uh, records are made, where, like, uh, someone talks into, like, a... Uh, basically a phonograph or whatever, and then uh, the needle actually, like, puts those grooves in, and then once you play it in a record, the grooves start bumping and bouncing, and then, like, that's how we get sound. God, that's cool. It's really cool. And he did this with glass. Yeah, with glass. And so he intended to create a record to communicate with Senku across all of millennia. Using, the, using a phonograph he reconstructed, Senku and the villagers are able to hear the voices of Yakia and the astronauts for the first time since petrification, as well as a song from Lillian. And it leads to a really beautiful moment where everyone hears Lillian's song and they're just all blown away and they're th and then it leads them to think about what life was like before them. It's just so amazing. Now this feels like a good bookend moment right there. Yeah, and I really love the shot too where in the middle of the song we get like this uh, shot of Lillian looking like she's singing directly to Rory. It just looks so cool. Right, like an ancestor reaching out to like their, like the future. Oh, her great-great-great-great-great-great-grandmother right here. Yeah. Oh. And so, with two cell phones, spies in the enemy camp, a united village ready for battle, and a wrecker from the past, it looks like we have everything we need for a fight. 
Season 1 has come to a close. Season 2 is upon us as begun. The Stone Wars have. Get excited. <laughs> need to say right now dr stone really truly surprised me because <laughs> like every now and then there's like a shonen that like you know try try something outside of just plain old fighting or like sometimes they'll like go into like other things such as like other competitions or something and uh like they'll find some way to apply the shonen formula to something else to really make something put something out there that's very different very often that different thing doesn't gel with me but Dr. Stone was a different kind of shonen that actually really worked for me. <laughs> and is overall, like, a, 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 really, a really fresh breath of air among the genre. I mean, who'd have thought, like, applying shonen tropes to science, right? To, like, tell a whole story based entirely around science. That was a clever but really challenging idea. But everyone involved with, like, the manga and the anime, the entire project that is Dr. Stone, really put in the work! Yeah! <laughs> like, you could tell this was a labor of love. It really was, to get as many scientific concepts down for the series is no easy task. But Dr. Stone actually manages it! Like, I was truly surprised! I was, like, wonderfully surprised! Blissfully surprised! Like, thankfully surprised by Dr. Stone! And, like, who would have guessed that this would work? Right? <laughs> it, it was a bit... It's, it must have seemed like a bit of a gamble to some people. Yeah, because, like, we're in the age of battle anime shounen, and, like, we have the series where there are fights, but they kind of take a backseat to the real fights, which are, like, you know, fighting to, like, get all these materials to create, like, these science projects, you know? Right, right. The real battles are really over, like, uh, like resources and inventions, really. I mean, it's... It's that's that's a challenging idea to pull off, but Doctor Stone manages to pull it off with uh, good characters, good storytelling, like great battles, like that are like you know really irregular for the genre, but really work in their own right, and they all come together in such a satisfying and truly heartfelt way. Like this is a series that really doesn't that at the end of the day, at the end of the day really knows how powerful and humanitarian science can be in the end. And it knows very well that, it, that science also needs alone is not enough. It needs to be guided by like people with a lot of heart, a lot of empathy, and like a lot of love for other people in order to guide it. You know, it doesn't discriminate, it brings people together, it, it can do a lot for people, to, re to elevate everyone. And I think that is really admirable. So, Dr. Stone, a very admirable and very fresh uh, take on the shonen genre. And I can't wait to see more. And really kind of interesting thing, you know, benefit of hindsight, a story all about, you know, humanity being taken to control by this 
unknown force, you know, kind of bringing us to our knees in sort of a way, and considering where we are now, it's kind of like, you look at a show like Dr. Stone, and it kind of makes you feel very hopeful, you know, just trusting in science and everything, and kind of like trying to work together to like bring us back to where we once were. And just like, you know, that's kind of a thing that I thought about recently, but uh, before that, I really already loved the show, just the cleverness about it. You've got a greater appreciation now. Yeah. Just everything about it, and the fact that, like I said, who would have guessed this would have worked, combining shonen with science? Like, somehow this is a match made in heaven, you know, in the age of where we have, like, great battle anime like One Piece and My Hero Academia, where we can have something, like, on par in some cases, if not better than some of those, in a series just like this. Like, to be honest, as I'm following the manga, I'm kind of considering Dr. Stone one of my favorite shonens of all time. Like, it's getting, Really? Like, I still put One Piece and My Hero, like, at the top of the pedestal, you know, kind of trading that number one spot, depending on how I'm feeling, but Dr. Stone is really, really giving it a run for its money, you know? <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, okay. you kind of look at, say, like, uh, you know, WWE, they have, like, two top guys. One's Roman Reigns, one's Drew McIntyre. You know, One Piece and My Hero, they're the Roman Reigns, head of the table, while uh, Dr. Stone is the Drew McIntyre, the big, huge guy you love to see win, you know? And it's just so good, and, like, you learn stuff every time when you watch this. Like, I feel like I learn Part of the so fun much. of the series is just learning new stuff. It's actually kind of, like, it's, like, kind of, like, infotainment. And, like, I feel this is the kind of show where, like, I can totally see a cool science teacher showing this to their class, you know? To teach them, <laughs> but also entertain them, you know? I mean, I don't know. Like, it, as far as that goes, like, maybe clips. Maybe yeah. clips for, like certain specific topics yeah, yeah. Or, or like do the thing where like say back in our high school days where some days teachers would be like yeah let's show an episode of like i don't know bill nye or magic school bus right but today <laughs> the teacher would be like okay here's an episode of dr stone <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah lots of informative little clips from the series <laughs> it's yeah it's it's quite good in that regard as well and just so very engaging like not only watching the anime but also following the manga like i am hooked and like anticipating every single episode and chapter as soon as like I finish one. I'm just like, I need more. Just hook it to my veins. I love this so much. <laughs> and at the time of this recording, Season 2 has actually finished airing, and the simuldub is currently a little over halfway through its run, and will be making its way to Toonami on May 15th, 2021. And unlike a certain other Season 2 that's aired recently, this season is just as good, if not better, than Season 1, and it keeps the momentum going and then some. Ooh, I can't wait. Also, around this time, uh, according to this uh, April 26th, 2021, uh, I am all caught up with the manga, with the most recent chapter being 194, and without spoiling anything in the events of the chapter, everything in that chapter and the events leading up to it is a real game changer. <laughs> like, if I can compare it to another shonen, I would say this is like their equivalent to uh, Saba Odi in One Piece. Mm. Like, I can't wait for people to see Season 2 if they haven't seen it already, but also the rest of the series, because it just gets bigger and better with each passing arc, you know? Like, you take what we have in Season 1, and you just continue to grow and expand on it and take some of these science projects to something on a much more grander scale at times. Much like how the series takes its time with its science, I can't wait to see how uh, this series takes its time to really grow to become something incredible. And in fact, at this point, we actually do have our end goal in mind. And everything everything that's happening right now is all working towards that goal. It, this is one of Senku's invention roadmaps, but on a big, 
big scale. And it'll be amazing to see them pull this off. And I fully expect Inagaki and Boichi to blow our collective minds, and I trust TMS Entertainment to adapt it to perfection. <laughs> so, expect a podcast on Season 2 sometime in the future. Also, the rest of the series, because I really want Dr. Stone to be kind of like the My Hero Academia, you know, something that we come back to at least once a year every so often, you know, to check in on these characters and just continue to just gush about how good it is. And I'd be more than happy to. You know, look so, yeah, look forward to... Season 2, Stone Wars, our episode, sometime, maybe next year. Get excited. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. I've been your host, Mikey, and you can find me at my social medias at Mikey Shiota on Twitter, MikeyShiota.tumblr.com, and MikeyShiota on the gram. And where can we find you, Ryan? You can find me at 2Bits on Twitter and WolfishGrin on Tumblr. Follow Anime Bebe on Twitter at Anime underscore Bebe. That's Anime underscore B-A-Y, B-A-Y. Also follow the show at AnimeBebe.podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcast. And on the next episode, summer is soon upon us, which means it's almost time for another summer series. Oh, Ooh, yeah. what's the big theme for this summer, uh, Mikey? Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll wait to formally announce what uh, specific shows we'll be covering, but uh, I'll definitely announce the theme right now. So, 2019, it was the Summer of Heroes as we covered all of My Hero Academia up to that point. Last year, 2020, it was the Summer of Trigger as, despite some hiccups with scheduling and remote recording... We covered five different anime from the great Studio Trigger. 2021, we go from tackling multiple seasons of a single anime series, to multiple anime from a single studio, to now tackling multiple anime from a single genre. Get ready, because we are bringing you the summer of music. You can't stop the... No, we're not singing. <laughs> Oh yeah, an entire summer of music anime, and stay tuned for a formal announcement on what shows we'll be covering soon, but yeah, this is going to be pretty fun. I, I'm excited too, we we both come from some uh, musical backgrounds. Oh yeah, high school band since like, what, the 6th grade or whatever? Yep. <laughs> so I'm, I'm more than excited to explore some music. Yep, and I already told you what uh, shows we'll be covering, and I think I've picked a good batch of them. Mm, I would say you have. Yep. So, until then... Stay safe out there, wash your hands, wear a fucking mask, get vaccinated when you can, Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, stop Asian hate. Until next time, this has been Anime, baby!
Dark, gloomy dungeon full of treasures? We found something more. I'm talking about the precious treasure that we call friendship. He really said that. That's so lame. Yeah, super lame. Ah, shut up! I regretted it the exact moment it came out of my mouth. And what's the deal with you two getting all buddy-buddy over it, huh? 